It's the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. It's Saturday. That's another edition of the Weekend Watchdogs. Mike Silva, Joe Bono. This uh, crisp Saturday, December the 13th. If you want to listen to the show live and on replay, go to WeekendWatchdogs.com. Check us out on Twitter at MikeSilvaMedia, at JBono611. And if you want to send me a personal note, MikeSilvaMedia.com. And joining me, and well-dressed, may I add, today, he obviously is either going Christmas caroling or he's got a big event, is uh, my buddy Joe Bono. Joe, how are you today? Doing well, Mike. I got a brunch in the city uh, directly following our show. I'll be at uh, Parker and Quinn, uh, Midtown Manhattan, connected to the lovely refinery rooftop for a uh, early Christmas uh, brunch with some uh, members of my wife's family. And then uh, we will then go to the Bryan Park kiosks that I see every day on the way to work and look at each and every shop and look at Christmas ornaments and spend money on things we don't need or want. And then um, I have a shindig at a uh, holiday party, and then when that's all done, I'll make my way over to the Marquis Marriott for the Heisman Trophy presentation. So that's so my still, Saturday. That sound, I mean, that's a, that's a busy Saturday. It sounds like an expensive Saturday. The Heisman Trophy, is that the cherry not expensive. on top? I'm not spending like- any money. I'm not buying brunch. I'm not buying an ornament. I know everything is taken care of at the holiday party, and the Heisman, there's a free buffet if, I need, if I'm still hungry. I'm not opening my wallet at one point, any point. This morning, will this you, afternoon, will you tweet, this evening. Will you tweet from the Heisman? Are you going to give us an idea? Are you going to be interviewing uh, Mariota? I mean, we're assuming he's going to win. I, I would be surprised if he didn't. I mean, what is your plan for Fox Sports Radio at the uh, Heisman event? They don't let you anywhere near these guys. Uh, they're completely protected. They come in with security guards flanking them on either side. They escort them to the press conference prior to the ceremony. They answer some Q&As. Um, from the media members, and they're escorted out across the street where fans are normally waiting for them. Um, then they have the actual ceremony, and then they come back, find their way back to the Marquis Marriott uh, with just the winner, the trophy, and generally their coach. And hopefully I'll, I'll be able to um, get something done with uh, Mr. Mariota um, before, the, before the night's over. If that happens, it's, and you- it's a successful evening. And we have not talked any college football at all on this show since the season started. We're a New York show. I mean, I don't really think we need to talk about it. We'll do a little today. Um, but are you being a little presumptuous saying Mariota will win it? Or is the ESPN hype machine at play here? I mean, there is It's two not other the ESPN candidates. hype machine. Uh, doesn't matter. Even the other candidates are saying that Marcus Mariota is going to win the Heisman. Uh, he won every single major award, Walter Camp, Davey O'Brien, every single most outstanding player, Maxwell Award. He's done a clean sweep of the college football awards the last couple of days, and uh, he'll be surely making it a, a complete, complete sweep uh, when he takes home the Heisman Trophy this year. He's the most deserving player, both stats-wise and, and body of work-wise this season. Now, I read that that may be the kiss of death, for his pro career, because such uh, illustrious names like Ron Dane have come up on the list of those that have swept the award. Now, I know Ricky Williams is on that list, but when you hear Ron Dane, Thunder and Lightning, was it? Tiki Barber and Ron Dane? You know, that brings back some Giants memories for you, I'm sure. And uh, not maybe not great. I mean, Ron Dane wasn't a, had a really one, what, one good year, Ron Dane, that first year. With the Thunder and Lightning. He wasn't a horrible year. running back. I mean, he never became, obviously, what he was at Wisconsin, but... Um, 
you know, Ron Dane was a serviceable running back that had just followed the Tyrone Wheatley years for the Giants, another big-time running back coming out of college. Um, listen, sometimes the Heisman Trophy winners uh, translate very well to the NFL. Sometimes they do not. Uh, a guy like Charles Woodson obviously did. Um, you know, in recent years, though, when you look at the quarterback position specifically, guys like Eric Crouch and Tim Tebow and you know, Chris Wenzel, um, there, there are guys that often win that award from college from a quarterback standpoint that don't translate and aren't even projected to translate well at the NFL level. Charlie Ward's another one. Um, but I think you look at this group of quarterbacks, Jameis Winston last year and Marcus Mariota this year, um, I think both of them translate well to the, to the NFL and expected to be within the top five picks. You know, interesting, interestingly enough, Winston not even getting invited to New York, um, probably probably the Heisman Trophy presentation um, and the trophy jet itself probably didn't think it was worth any kind of uh, media storm of having both maybe, Winston maybe and Mariota there. Maybe they don't want him to get in trouble. Maybe that's, that's part of it. You never think about that. Me, you know, Jameis has sticky fingers, from what I understand. He's not a not as sticky fingers in the Odell Beckham type of uh, 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 scenario. By the way, Odell Beckham is going to be at a memorabilia shop, literally two minutes from my house up the road today. If anybody oh, got to go get, <laughs> we've got a sponsor. I was thinking of going Book over there and week. maybe book him for next week. Od was Odb. ODB is the new thing. I mean, I know that there's some hosts in this town that think the hype behind that catch and the adulation for Odell Beckham, you know, off topic, but but nonetheless. So so there'll be no Christmas caroling then today for for you. No, that's much later. Christmas caroling actually happens after Christmas, which makes it even that much more pointless and upsetting. No, I always um, thought Christmas I remember it being before. I thought it was before. No, no, it happens after after Christmas. Between Christmas and New Year's, you dust off the books from a year ago. And when the Christmas spirit is supposed to be winding down, you actually uh, spend 45 minutes singing Christmas carols in the great room. No, would you? Are you doing those like in front of people's houses, or this is just you know? No, just just, just in front of each other, just in front of each other. Oh, because I would say if you came to my house singing Christmas carols at the Christmas, I probably would throw an egg at you from my door. Yeah, like, if I didn't know you, I, I knew you. You know, I, different story. We have to mention. We have to mention, and I know you're not going to mention it because you're so humble and modest. But this I week, coming. Mike Silva was named one of the top 100 must-follow sports business accounts of 2004 by Forbes 2014. magazine. 2014. Thank you. 2014. And what what can we say? 2014. And um, it even mentioned it even mentioned this show. That this show, the Weekend Watchdogs, now has gotten some space within Forbes.com is, is pretty impressive. Now, they omitted your co-host, but that's okay. Well, that, that's not my fault. I, and I'll be quite honest with you. I, I, and this is the truth. The only reason I found out about it is because I read the article. I was scrolling down the article, and I'm reading it, and there's such luminaries like uh, Neil Best and uh, Ken Rosenthal and guys like that. So it's humbling to be part of that. Joe Casal, uh, who has been on this show I don't know if with you and I, but he's been on when I was hosting it um, before you came on board as a permanent uh, co-host, uh, lawyer down in Florida, former agent, you know, really good, uh, in, it, you know, insight into the business world of the NFL. Is huge Saints fan too, so it's been a rough year for him. So he's on and give him a little prop. But I sort and, and I was more towards the bottom of the hundred, which you know, listen, to be in the hundred is 
I'm humbled by it. Maury Brown, Business, business of Sports Network, Biz of Baseball, another guy I've known for a long time, even back to my NYBD days, made the list. So, hey, I'll take any kind of publicity that, I'll, that, I, that I can get. I think, and I am actually going to quote the president. Anyway, we don't get political on this show, but I don't know if you saw my tweet. I thought President Obama, who's going on this uh, tour of all these sports shows to promote his health care, uh, affordable health care, which we won't talk about here because that's not what this is about. But you know, he they they asked him about social media and some of the uh, you know negativeness that comes from it. And Obama actually said, "Look, social media does have this ability to channel people's rage and frustration." But the genie's not going to be put back in the bottle. If you're in the public arena, you just have to deal with taking the heat. And I'll be honest with you, maybe that's just a line from the president because he's a politician. But to me, that says it all because you go on Twitter. And, Joe, I, you know, I get into it and I try to use some sarcasm and humor, which doesn't always go over great on Twitter. But I think what Maury understood from the rankings is that I'm trying to entertain. I'm trying to put some thoughts out there. You know, I am critical of the media. That doesn't sit well with some people. Frank Isola, I'll throw that name out there. And, uh, you know, it, it does help get you some buzz for the show. So I'll, I'll take the award. Now, I don't get paid for it. So, you know, it's not like – but obviously I put it on my personal MikeSilvermedia.com page a little and in my Twitter profile. Now we need to get you on there because you also broke stories this week. And that should be brought out there. To the oh, well. And, and, and you We're not talking hockey until January 1st. You, and you know what? I was so willing. This is what's so frustrating to me. I was willing to admit, because I'm a pragmatist, I was willing to admit that I was wrong, that maybe I was a little harsh about the Winter Classic, uh, not talking hockey on the show. And I've said, hey, maybe we'll do You know, the Islanders beat the Penguins back-to-back. I offered to say, let's do a segment. And you've been resistant. Now, I think the reason you've been resistant is because you're just scratching following the rules. With, I mean, no, listen, you're scratching they, um, rich with the Isles blog. Because the Isles blog to you now is your baby. So you don't want to talk hockey on here because you already get it at the Isles blog. And I said, okay, you know, so this is what it's come down to. I'm talking about Marcus Mariota uh, on, on this show and, uh, and the college football playoffs, which probably nobody in New York, unless you're betting on them, cares about. And they're certainly not going to get that from me. Um, so, you know, all I'm saying is, 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 you know, I offer. But why don't you throw a little nugget, give yourself a little uh, props here about – I mean, this uh, wasn't um... – Tremendous amount of investigative reporting. I just had to call the ticket office. Uh, we had heard rumblings that, um, you know, the individual game tickets for all three Ranger games that are scheduled for 2015, as well as the final home game at the Coliseum, were never going to go on sale, meaning that uh, they were never going to be available through Ticketmaster or through the box office. And everyone knows the Islander season ticket base is not 16,170, which is a sellout um, at the Coliseum. So, you know, why would we know the case? exact number, so, too? Off the top of yeah, your head. So, Impressive. Thank you. Um, well, so, you know, we just gave some calls, and it hadn't been promoted yet, but uh, pretty much the Islanders were expecting to um, announce a 21-game ticket package, meaning that people would have to buy tickets to 21 games and offer an, an order for two of those 21 games to be one Ranger game and the final game of the Coliseum to have that option. So, obviously, they're trying to leverage some very big dates, very important dates, uh, for people to try to fill the Coliseum the rest of the season. And I understand that. I mean, that's nothing new. Um, you know, we look back to Subway Series and, and, and Met Yankee packages often would include those games. Now, maybe they were six-game packages or eight-game packages, sure. not 21-game packages when there's only 27 or 28 home games left. Um, so that might be 
might be a little much, um, but obviously there's a big, big demand for those games. And I think also, you know, Islander fans, despite the three-game losing streak, are expecting and hoping to be in the playoffs. And by doing this, you get, you know, playoffs, playoff rights. So you have the option, obviously, then to secure playoff tickets. And listen, if they end up playing the Rangers in the first round of the playoffs, uh, and you're an Islander fan, you don't want to be spending $300 per ticket to get in there. Um, you may it may be in your best interest to try to get a package now. So all those things are kind of playing into it. And and there's seven countdown. I have my Christmas calendar out. There's 11 days till Christmas. I know Hanukkah, I believe, is next week. So for our Jewish friends, I'll throw that out there too. But I will be at the Nassau Coliseum in the building preparing for that day at this time next week. It's come upon us that I actually got suckered into this, and now I feel bad because I hear rumors. You're pumped I'm up. excited. I'm pumped up. I'm supposed to get my yes, yes, yes T-shirt the 17th of December. That's this coming what Wednesday. So I'm excited that I'm excited to pay. I'm excited to pay for it as well. Uh, just to remind everybody, I had to pay for this just like everybody else. Did not get a freebie on the co-host, but well, I did hear. Well, that was because that was because the list of the hundred most influential sports business Twitter accounts hadn't come out yet. Otherwise, you would have gotten that's a freebie. True. That's right, because, you know, my name is Evan Roberts, and, uh, you know, I give you a two-second plug on Twitter, I get a freebie. I mean, Andrew Bogus, he gets a, a freebie. We, he, I, I, you know, I heard everybody in the WFAM building got a freebie, including uh, the entire Siason family over there. That's, that's the rumor. But, you know, uh, all I could true. say is, is that you know, I heard there's a tailgate, and I heard that I'm actually getting an anniversary gift. That This was not a joke last week, that there is actually a gift that you're getting me. I don't know if you've already paid for it or bought it, or if you're going no, out today, right in, in the I have it already here. I have oh, it. It already came. I got it already. So get excited. And it's I, gonna be good. I don't know if I can wear it. It's gonna make you. It's gonna make you feel bad that you're that you're coming empty-handed. <laughs> well, I could buy okay. you something at the game. I could. I, I didn't say. I mean, I. Just, yeah. You know, I'll give you this. I'll give you this very thoughtful, very personal type gift, and I'll receive in return a, a pretzel. So thank you very much. <laughs> Uh, you're knocking the food at the Coliseum? Is that what you're doing? No, I actually, I the love Coliseum. their pretzels. Yeah. Pretzels are their pretzels. They've six years of their pretzel the game. Just remember, well, don't anyway, try to get any, do not try to get any food in between periods because the corridor, and it will be a sellout, I think, that Saturday, the corridor area is so tight that, uh, yeah, you can't tell yeah, where the line actually starts because people are just trying to get through. It's uh, a bit much. I've been to the Coliseum twice. Since 2006, once for an arena football game, and once for an Islanders Penguins game. I think 2008 around there. This is my third visit in almost eight I years. Mo- I guess that means Motley Crue hadn't uh, visited the Coliseum lately. No, Motley Crue didn't play at the Coliseum. I've been to the hotel and, uh, numerous times for business events, so that I know next door. But this is the, the 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 probably the third time, and I'll be saying farewell to the Coliseum. I'm sure Joe's going to try to get me out there for. Some event at some point in 2015, maybe a playoff game. You know, that's asking a lot because that's going to cost. Uh, you know, I was watching Donnie Brasco this week. I'm going to use the word that's going to cost a lot of fazools. That's always a movie yep. that if it's on and I have mm-hmm. some time, and it was the com- we had commercials, so it was a little longer than normal. That's a movie that you know I always feel I have to engage in if I watch that. So it's going to cost a lot of fazools. It seems like to go. Mm-hmm. Well, know, listen, the gift I'm giving you is not is not a. Uh... It's a real thing. It's not a Fugazi gift. That's what I'll say. It's not a Fugazi gift. Anyway, um, we have a couple of guests that are going to join us later on. We're, we're a little fluid with that. We hope to have Dan Grassa of Sirius XM Radio joining us later this hour. He will be uh, talking about the winter meetings, winners and losers of the winter meetings that just concluded this past Thursday. 
Tommy D from Charge FM uh, on Twitter, one of the authorities, I think, uh, uh, on about the Knicks and about the NBA. Uh, he'll be talking a little bit of Knicks with us as we go under the hood to see what's going on with the Knicks of making negative news and whether or not these uh, rumors of Carmelo Anthony already looking to jump ship just, I guess, uh, you know, 25% of the way through the, uh, the NBA season of his first year of his new deal. Are they true? So Tommy will be joining us in the uh, 11 o'clock hour. Uh, as I said, we'll talk some college football later briefly. Um, but we're, you know, we'll, we'll also take your calls, 646-716-8187. Be sure to chime in. Um, Joe, you know, um, let's go here before we get into, you know, because I think the baseball is important. Um, reactions from you for the winter meeting. Any reaction towards... I guess the big moves by the Cubs and the Dodgers and the Marlins, who are teams that have, I guess, stood out, if you want to call them winners and losers. Yeah, I think... um, And the lack of activity from from both New York teams on any major front. I mean, for me, I think, uh, like you mentioned already, I think the Cubs and the Dodgers stood out as as winners here. The Cubs and how quickly they've been able to transform mentality from uh, we're a bad team, we're going to be a bad team, we're in complete rebuilding mode to uh, we have a manager that's talking about winning now and winning World Series. We're spending money, bringing in uh, the top, if not one of the top um, free agent pitchers, that plus all of our everyday uh, young hitting talent. Or We're going for it. We think we can be competitive in 2015. And the Dodger moves you know, I give them an A for creativity and, and thinking outside the box with the with these moves and not being fearful of trading one of your marquee players in the division and also trading or selling high um, on a D Gordon, a guy who was just a short, just a an All Star uh, a season ago. But I'm not necessarily certain that the Dodgers got better. Um, the Brandon McCarthy deal to me was a little bit of a head scratcher in terms of the years and the amount of money he got. And um, listen, I think Jimmy Rollins and Howie Kendrick um, up the middle is nice, um, but um, I'm not necessarily certain now. that Howie Kendrick is better move. than D. Gordon. It's a win now move, but I'm not necessarily certain as a, a whether or not they are um, they tip the scale in terms of win now moves. And um, they're both kind of risky propositions in the short term too. Um, so I'm not sure. Obviously, I think that what the Dodgers did was the most interesting. Uh, moves by any team uh, throughout the winter meetings, but I'm not again. I'm not necessarily sure that they got significantly better. Uh, while the Cubs, I think, did get significantly better with John Lester. Um, obviously, though, they're going to still need a major, you know, guys to take the next step a lot of the way in terms of their young talent, everyday talent, if they want to, uh, you know, be a true contender next year. But from where they were a year ago, um, they're light years ahead between that and Joe Madden being their manager. And if you want to really uh, you know, with the sleeper team that has improved not just through the winter meetings moves, but since the start of the offseason. The White Sox, they bring on Robertson. Uh, the Yankees obviously didn't even get involved in that sweepstakes after they signed Andrew Miller, which we talked about last week. They have Adam LaRoche. They got Zach Duke. They got Jeff uh, Smarge, a starting pitcher. And a division with the Indians and the Tigers that always seems to be very close. And I know the White Sox didn't have a great year last year, but the year, you know, Robin Ventura's first year, um, they were around from, for a little bit. So, um, there's another team. Uh, I think that the takeaway and like what the Tigers the did. Um, well, you know, uh, Alfredo Simon. I mean, I'm not a big, I'm not a big Suspetis fan. Uranus Suspetis. I'm, I'm just not. I think he's a good player. Um, 
Um, you know, I'm not like this. I don't think he's a game changer like everybody thinks. Alfredo Simon, you know, he's, he's a National League pitcher that was all right. You know, that was an all-star game, I think, more for uh, uh, his win. Oh, he had a very good like year that. last year, but he had never pitched that level before, and now he's going to the American League. Um, you know, um, interesting there. He's a little the above average played. last year. He was good. I mean, good. half of the year. That's the thing I wanted to yeah, get to um, with, you know, Porcello being enough to get Cespedes. Um, now, you listen, he's middle 20s, um, was obviously a very high prospect, very high in the first round, made his debut 19, 20 years old. Um, but I think you look at what Rick Porcello's body of work has been to this point, and you look at the Mets trying to ship, you know, Dylan G and John Meese, I think it says a lot as baseball thought of Rick Porcello as compared to John Meese and Dylan G. The numbers alone, either one of those guys are comparatively the same pitcher, if not better, results-wise than Rick Porcello. And I, well, I think they're looking at Rick Porcello in terms of his age. Um, you know, I think that's the first thing. I think one of the things that if you if you look at a guy like uh, you know, the one you could one drawback if if you look at it. He's twenty five years old. Um, you know, he's, he doesn't strike out a lot of batters. He strikes out less than six per nine. And maybe that's becoming less and less of an issue with the, the decreased offense. But I always like guys who miss bats and you know, he's got good control. He doesn't walk a lot of guys. The, a good comp for him I think is like Doug Fister. So is this a guy that's gonna come in, give you two hundred innings, give you six innings, two or three runs every time he goes out there, you know, seven innings, three runs. There's a value to that. He's not an impact pitcher, a middle of the a top of the rotation pitcher, in my opinion. He's a number three at best. So it tells you a little bit about the fact Red that Sox have a, Red Sox have a bunch of number threes now. I feel like every right. guy they and got maybe they're is a just going to say, three. "Hey, we'll do a strong bullpen. We'll they'll do something with the bullpen. They'll build it around their offense. Maybe that's the formula. That's fine. You know, they missed out on Lester. Who knows what Scherzer? We'll get to Scherzer in a minute. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's, Dylan G. The, the problem is this: Dylan G has never had the kind of season, you know, one season, that Porcello had. Now, if you talked to me a year ago, I would say they're much more comparable, and I believe they're comparable over the, over the course. But he's done it in the American League. He's had a season where he's pitched 200 innings and, and been significantly or, or, or solidly, I should say, above league average. Um, John Neese, I think the industry knows there's something going on in that shoulder. I mean, what did Seth Everett say a couple of weeks ago? He had like 16 MRIs or something like that. I don't know if that's well, an accurate number. I don't anything – that we don't know. Oh, there's I just buzz. think that when you, Mike, no, what's there's buzz? Probably I more mean, buzz. Uh, what they everyone knows what he's been on the DL for. It's out in the open. I, I don't. I the think everyone shot. just knows what everyone else knows. And if you're going to be trading for a pitcher that has had MRIs, has missed time on the DL due to shoulder concerns, obviously there's a risk there. But I don't think anything. There's any buzz, any knowledge, information out there. Every fan base, every Mets fan knows that follows this team throughout the season. Regarding John Neese, I think the I don't other know, part you think there's hearing, you think there's more in there. You think people know even well, more. Well, no, the more here's what I would say with the more. It, it comes down to Sandy Alderson, who and you, there was a, a tweet by uh, uh, Manish Mehta regarding the John Isaac and the Jets and the methodical process that he employs to, to the point of detriment. I think Sandy, just like he did last off season with Ike Davis, when some felt some claim he could have got Zach Britton, who had a pretty good year out of the bullpen for the Orioles, for Ike, earlier in the offseason, decided to wait till the last possible minute and basically got a very young pitcher that we don't know about, that would be years away, 
that has some potential, and you got a triple-A reliever for Ike Davis, who, with his power, may still have value, at least Billy Bean thinks, because now he's with, uh, you know, he's gone from Pittsburgh to Oakland. Uh, I think it sounds like they're overvaluing G. Now, you're hearing some rumors about G potentially going to Colorado, maybe for Will and Rosario, who's a catcher that probably should be playing another position, right-handed batter. Um, you know, Rex Brothers, who's a lefty reliever, who's had some good years but has control issues. Uh, you know, you've heard those rumors. It's You heard the rumor that the, the Twins were willing to give up their shortstop for uh, for G, and it wasn't enough. And, and I, I just think the writing's on the wall. What Sandy wants is maybe more akin to what he, he got from Marlon Byrd, where he was able to get Dilson Herrera. He was able to really bring back potentially an impact piece, a good asset. I think for yeah, Dylan G, think, it sounds but he's like... Not looking. But to me, it doesn't sound like he's looking for a prospect. He's not looking for a guy, a single-A player. He's looking for a guy I think is major league ready that can help this team. And then that's the so, problem. Eduardo Escobar, who's the shortstop in Minnesota, um, and, and last year he had 275. He had six homers, 37 RBIs. Um, no, he's not great. I mean, he's a career 255 hitter. Uh, you know, he probably doesn't profile, and at least this is what has been said by the Mets, much better than Flores or or Tejada. I, I haven't seen enough of him. I know last year he had a better year than either one of those guys. So I'll just say that about last year. And he's 25 years old. Um, you know, in the minor leagues, if you look back, I know that when you start to play in the big leagues over the course of a few years, it doesn't matter anymore. Uh, you know, he's a solid player in the minor leagues. I haven't seen enough of him. But to me, that's what you can get. You can probably get something similar. And if they trade him, and here's my issue with the Dylan G situation. If you value him that much, and, and this is not about dumping Sally, which I don't believe. I think they have to get rid of his $5 million potential arbitration price tag or his value in terms of what he may or may not get depending on whether they go to arbitration. Um, I, I, if it's not a salary dump, then yeah, can you get a couple of pieces? At this point, John Mayberry Jr. has been basically signed on as the backup outfielder or the backup first baseman as well um, uh, when he's due to faces a tough luck. New Eric Campbell. That's pretty right. much what and John Mayberry is. He's a more experienced, right. slightly better book of work than Eric Campbell. But I don't think it's that big right. of an upgrade to place him. He can play a corner outfield position, right hand off the bat. He's got some more pop probably than Campbell off the bench. And obviously could spell due to at first base, as Kadir could too. They can mix and match uh, between the three of them. Right. I mean, hits lefties extremely well. Hits lefties at like an 880 OPS clip, which is is, is all-star status when, when you look at that kind of number. So you have that. You know, you're going to get parts to round up the roster. My whole argument is this, and I've said this. I think if you put Dylan G in a role, because Carlos Torres, who's been used a tremendous amount, and I, I believe will eventually succumb to the Dan Worth and Terry Collins arm injuries that everyone else does and uh, because of overuse, and Carlos Torres is a nice swing guy, but I think he has more value out of the bullpen where you are going to need to use a spot starter for Matt Harvey, maybe Zach Wheeler. It depends on uh, you know this whole idea of how these guys go. You don't know if there's going to be DL situations or rest or what have you. You're going to need to use this guy at some point. Is $5 million in this market with Joe, when you saw what Brandon McCarthy got, $12 million a year, is that a lot to ask for a guy who can start and come out of the bullpen for you as a sixth starter? really isn't. Now, maybe next year that starts to get, as you get closer and closer to free agency, maybe that becomes an obtuse price tag. I know you could get someone cheaper than Dylan G to do that, but experience and resume has value. And that's my issue with dumping Dylan G. 
I think you're going to need this guy to plug in starts for Matt Harvey at some point. And I'd rather see that than maybe go and say, well, no, I don't know what Noah Syndergaard and Steven Matz are going to be. You know, unless you want you're to keep talking all about six. a team not in the center. Yeah. So you want to keep all six guys uh, that are currently on the roster um, that are yes. expected to be part of a rotation this year and, and move G into a swingman spot starter type role, especially when you're considering already – um, you know, kind of lessening Mike Harvey's workload throughout the course of yeah. the season, uh, maybe skip a start here or there. So that, that's how you would just keep everyone, not make a move at all, keep Cologne, keep Nice, keep G, and then just try to upgrade in shortstop via free agency, yep. post for one of these we'll uh, Korean that, or Japanese right. shortstops. That's what you do? Yeah. I mean, here's the other thing, Joe. Do you think, are you convinced 110% that, Cologne isn't going to fall off the cliff at his age. It could happen at any moment. Look at Tom Glavin. Tom Glavin won his 300th game in 2007. He was really not the same pitcher after that. He was a very solid. But Mike, they do have. Rotation I mean, guy. right now, the first guy up, if there was an injury in the rotation, I think would be Rafael Montero, based on who's still on the roster, um, considering that he did spend some time at the major league level last year. But he was not he effective. Bigger. Time. Not effective time. He was good. So there's an, there's he, started, he struggled at the start. He came back. He was better when he came back the second time. I think he still has a lot of upside. Um, remember, prior to the two of them coming up, people were more excited about seeing Montero than Jacob DeGrom. So let's not forget what Montero is projected to be and could be. Um, then you have Syndergaard coming up uh, right after them. Steven Matz, obviously. So... I think the Mets are looking at it, looking at this roster and saying, come May, June, we may have a situation where we have eight starting pitchers and we need to create you could trade a the situation Mets. where you're going to tell me you can't trade a starting pitcher We in have June? somewhere to put them. You can't trade a starting pitcher in, in June, July? Of course you can. But they may actually give you, you more. If, but if you're, gonna, if you're not going to need that starting pitcher to fill out your rotation, why not try to get – trade that guy for an asset now as opposed to June when you probably won't have a place to play that asset. Uh, that's, that's my point. And if there's a criticism I have for the Mets, well, then they're saying that they're not going to improve their shortstop position and just go with Wilma Flores. He's and then they're going to be that. trying to make the exact Danny same. Basically, and Mike, Danny so Mike, basically they're going to try to make the exact same, they're going to try to make the exact same type of deal in July that they are trying to make right now in December. I mean, no, you'd never to improve you the look roster at what they right got now. from Marlon Bird. Marlon Bird was on a contract year. He's having a big Mike, year. Mike, they did not they, get major league players for Marlon Bird. They got a triple they A. They did. Wilson Herrera. They got a major league player. Mike, but they're not looking for single A talent anymore through for Dylan G. But they want major know. league talent. You're, We're you're, done. The Mets are done saw. looking for prospects and looking for single A and double A, and they should be, and I'm glad they am. They're not in a position so, anymore to be trading assets for other teams, single A players, and wait for four or five years from that. So they already. They, so, so this shortstop for Minnesota, if this is the value of of what they're being told that Dylan G is at five million, and that guy's not an upgrade over what they have right now, you want to trade him just for a lefty reliever? I mean, that's no better than Edgin or maybe this guy, Gil, uh, Sean, let me get his name up. Was it Sean Gilbrian? Gilbrian? I'm telling you, I remember. Gil Martin. So, no, I mean, is that what you want if to I, do? If I, a, if I have a criticism of Sandy Alderson and this brain trust of Dee Podesta and J.P. Ricciardi, they have done a really good job at selling off 
their major league talent at their highest, you know, Carlos Beltran playing at an all-star level up in July. Um, Maul and Bird have a bounce-back year, trading him off in August. Um, you look at what they did with R.A. Dickey coming off a Cy Young season and trading him away. They've done a great job of that. But there's some other players here, John Meese, Dylan G., et cetera, those guys had higher ceilings a year ago, two years ago, and they could have been more creative and more aggressive in years where they knew they weren't going to be competing anyway to get someone else in here. And now they're trying to trade a guy like Meese, which obviously has injury concerns, and a guy like G, who's obviously taken a step back from the point where, you know, last year he was the opening day starter for the Mets. And obviously pitched pretty well before he got injured and then came back and was not very good. But I, I, that's my I criticism. Just think the, lack never of, have the lack of creativity. Pitching. The lack of creativity to trade major league talent for major league talent. That's the one thing we have not seen this, this front office do in the four years they've been here. The only trade you can look to is what? Trading Angel Pagan, you know, for Andres Torres. Well, you got, well, it didn't work out. I mean, and, and no, and it was a bad trade. Oh, yeah, well, and Ramirez. Angel Pagan was, was looking for a big contract. They weren't willing to give it to him. He had issues uh, with Collins. There's a lot behind the scenes that, 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 has, that you know, a lot of people don't know about. That Angel Pagan wasn't exactly a hard worker when he was here. And, and he's had some good moments with San Francisco, but he still lands himself on the DL a lot over there. So, you know, Pagan, if he was healthy, would have probably netted a lot more, but there were concerns at that point. And I want to get to Max Scherzer because I know we have Dan Grosso joining us. Dan Grosso of SiriusXM is going to join us in about uh, you know ten minutes, about ten forty. The issue I have is that you know the market value. He thinks sitting on this asset is going to get him more. So my question is this: What is going to change from Dylan G between this point and the rest of the offseason? There is not a team that's going to say Dylan G in January or February is worth more to them at that point than now. Unless there is, and he's banking on it, it sounds like, like he was with Ike Davis, that someone's going to have a catastrophic spring training injury, need a starter, panic, overpay for whatever he's looking for. Because right now, you hear with Sandy with half-truths and double talk, maybe they'll trade him to dumb salary, maybe they're looking for big league talent. I've tried to read through his BS, and I can't. So that's my thing. Why not just hold on to this guy into the season? Because I'm guaranteeing you, Joe, they trade Dylan G, and now they're banking on Steven Matz and Noah Syndergaard to be those, and Montero, uh, you know, there's a lot of ifs in those three. Now, you've got to take some chances on young pitchers. Montero, fine. But you heard from Seth Everett two weeks ago that Syndergaard, who was supposed to be up, everyone thinks he's all of a sudden going to just get called up. We've seen pitching prospects flop. Steven Matz has been successful at double A. What makes you think he can even translate that? We don't know. Plus, with innings limitations. And what if Bartolo Colon collapses? So now you got Harvey who needs rest. Bartolo Colon collapses. Uh, who knows with, with Nijan Nice, it, it's going to happen there. You know what's going to happen in June? You're going to be going, oh, we could use a starter. You know, kind of a guy like Dylan G, right? For what? For, you know, you know that's my own. If, if, if but, Mike, but, what if they, but Mike, you're, you're making your own point that probably Sandy Alderson is thinking that exact same thing and why the market is high for him in terms of what they're asking for back. And the reason why he hasn't been traded is because these, you know, fringe um, upgrades at shortstop are not enough because these lefty relievers are not enough and the asking price so is So why is he on the market? So the Mets are, why do you keep hearing they have to trade a starting pitcher? Why do they have to trade a starting pitcher? 
But if, why if do you're going to get back what, half of Mike, if you're going to get what you want in return, you would trade that starting pitcher. The Mets, unfortunately, have a glutton of starting pitching right now at a time where there's a yeah, lot right. of starting pitching available. No, I just told you why they so don't they're not. Have a so, a, so, so, a, so a good yeah. player like G or Nice in a lesser market might command more than you're able to when there's other guys available in free agent and the trade and the trade market right now. But you're talking as if they made the trade for a shortstop that's a slight upgrade that, uh, than Wilmer Flores. You're acting like they made the trade already. Um, that's no, marginally I'm bad. acting like I'm saying why is it why do I keep reading unless this is the writers doing this the Mets have a starting pitching surplus and they need to make a trade. I'm not hearing the Mets have too many starters and it really would be nice if they could take this guy and and flip him for a couple of pieces that they could help their roster. I'm not hearing that. I hear they have to make a deal to 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 be able to So listen, to, I guess look, uh, if you're saying this, 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 this is what you're saying. You're saying there's three ways to look at Dylan G. There's look, is looking at him next year as a guy who's going to be in the rotation, a guy who's going to be a long man out of the bullpen and spot starter. Um, right. And you're saying to yourself, of those Dylan G's, is going to be worth more on the trade market. Someone that's on the rotation, a spot starter, or a guy who's kind of a swingman type reliever. Those three types of Dylan G's. And you're saying you'd rather roll the to see that Dylan G actually increases his trade value in one of those yeah. three roles come June, July, and then trade him off, then trade him off to right now. No, I'm saying his value is there. Unless Dylan G goes in and pitches like he did the second half of 2013, where he's one of the best pitchers in baseball, where at that point, at that point, you could have probably gotten some max value out of him. It was still a bit of skepticism. They didn't. He sat on them. Maybe they thought they could compete last year. Who knows? You know, the Mets sometimes have to do things to draw fans and pretend they're competing and also cut payroll. Well, listen, and, also and the rebuild. Harvey injury. Remember, they were without a starter. They knew, they knew Harvey wasn't going to be pitching well be- before the end of the 2013 season when G was still pitching. I know they that. Traded them if they had Harvey and they, tra- and they got Cologne, they might not have needed Dylan G to fill out their rotation, and then they would have been like, well, we need now. They were pretending to compete. They were pretending to compete when there was no chance they were going to increase or or invest in the roster to an acceptable level to make a roster that, if you invested in it, may have been able to, you know, make a little noise. But I'm just just having a tough time following your argument because they haven't made the trade, and everything that you're hearing is that the Mets have set the market too high for Dylan G. You yourself made the argument that, the reason why they screwed up the Ike Davis situation is they had an ability to get a, rep, a lefty like Britain from the Orioles for G. It was rumored right. uh, for, for Davis. And now they're and they looking, turned it down and held on to him. And they got nothing back right. for him. So right, right now, now they're looking so, for right, a lefty You made that point. You made that point. So you don't want them below what they think the value is for Dylan G. Yet you know just from the Ike Davis situation is that G's value could be worth even less no, well, no. What I'm saying is, it be. It, no. Uh, you're 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 bastardizing the point. I'm saying is the value is there. We understand that. I'm not really excited about the value. Now, maybe Willem Rosario, if that's the kind of right-handed catcher, first baseman type of thing that we can we can uh, what are they going to do with look him? at? What are they going to do with him? Well, you think Tra- you, Travis Darno is a guarantee? 
you got concussion issues. You have Travis See, problem, Arno, you're the same that you made a big, you made an investment. Like so you handed over do. the keys to him as a, as a catcher. You have Kevin Pawlowski coming up nipping at his heels, and now you're going to bring no, in Rosario. Months, who's your plan B? Who's your plan B every day at catcher if he's out three months? Anthony Wrecker. Like well, every major league team, every, every major league team has a 25 man roster with three starters at every position. They don't. One guy is your guy. No, they have one guy in backup. Look at the backup catcher rosters across Major League Baseball, and you tell me how many teams would be in great situations if their everyday catcher went out for three three months. I mean, that's I unfair. Than especially Rucker. when they have a especially when they have a Triple A prospect that's ready to pretty pretty close to being Major League ready that could come up. If something like that happens, then fine. Do what you did with John Buck and trade him. Do what you, you could trade guys. You know, you're not married to guys more than a year. Anyway, Joe and I digress here. We have to get into the Max Scherzer situation, the winter meetings. We'll get that perspective from Dan Gross of uh, SiriusXM's Mad Dog Radio as uh, he comes up next. 11 o'clock hour, we'll be talking Knicks, college football playoffs, and, of course, the number is 646-716-8187 if you want to call in. You are listening to the Weekend Watchdogs. Mike Silva, Joe Bono, taking you all the way up till noon. We'll be back with Dan Gross of SiriusXM right after this. It's the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. Every Saturday between 10 and noon, Mike Silva and Joe Bono bring you the Weekend Sports with a New York slant. A one-stop shop of quality commentary, hard-hitting debates, intelligent guests, and entertaining pop culture references. Go to WeekendWatchdogs.com for an archive of the latest shows, iTunes subscription, and to contact the show. It's Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. Don't miss it. Weekend Watchdogs, Joe Bono, Mike Silva with you, chatting hot stove baseball. Not particularly hot for the local teams. Mets and Yankees quiet during the winter meetings in San Diego to talk about that and the rest of Major League Baseball and what they did. We welcome in Dan Grassa, host Sirius XM, Mad Dog Sports Radio, Monday through Friday, 7 to 11 p.m. Dan, Joe, and Mike, how you doing, pal? The dynamic duo. It's been a while. How you guys doing? <laughs> I like being the dynamic trio. Uh, with you on now as well, Dan. No, we're doing we're doing well. Um, we just spent a lot of time talking about the Mets, but let's start about let's start with the Yankees. Surprised at all that the Yankees allowed two guys that were free agents, Ian Robertson, that performed very well for them, both leave because the price tag was just too much. Your thoughts on that to start off? Well, I'm surprised you guys spent a lot of time talking about the Mets. I mean, you, you could have covered that in about 13 seconds. John Mayberry Jr., okay, let's move on. Um, as far, I mean, as far as the Yankees go, let's face it, it's very un-Yankee-like when we see them losing players instead of them spending a boatload to bring in the top flight acquisitions. But we've seen this before from the Yankees. Think back to even last season when they said, we want to make sure we get below the luxury tax threshold. We don't want to spend any sort of uh, extra money, so we have to pay any more than we do. And what did they do? They went totally against that. They go out and give Tanaka the big money. They went out and gave Ellsbury the big money, and on and on and on. I guarantee you, before this whole thing is done, talking about the baseball offseason, the Yankees will go out there and reel in a big fish. I don't know if it's Max Scherzer. I don't know if it's, if you want to call James Shields a big fish. But I think everybody from Brian Cashman on down in the Yankees organization, they know they can't go to spring training with this starting rotation. I mean, it is, to me, it's littered with question marks. So you know that they're going to have to bring in somebody else to be more competitive again in this American League East. 
And Dan, I, I was looking at this. I was looking at their payroll, and again, I'm going getting it from Cots Contracts, which has them about 180 million bucks right now, mm-hmm. uh, and that doesn't include some arbitration guys. So let's say 200 million. But you mentioned Shields. I think Shields is a little overrated. I mean, the big game James Shield. When you look at his postseason numbers, it makes you laugh that he got that that narrative. But now you look at Scherzer, and he's laying out there, and he's really I don't want to say on a tee, but there's a pathway there. I'm guessing because of the Lester contract that shares is going to ask for about seven years and $210 million, about $30 million a year. Mm-hmm. Um, there's got to be a creative way, like they did with CC Sabathia. And the only reason Sabathia's contract is bad is because they wound up re-upping with him in the middle of that, where maybe you could do the same deal. Opt out or give some kind of opt out for both sides in year four. Um, and then you know then you're going to have to pay for bad performance six and seven in these contracts. It's just inevitable with star players. You have to eat that money down the road, which, by the way, you know, right now the Yankees in 2020, 2021, they don't have anybody signed at that point. So why not just go the extra mile and not just nibble with Shields is going to cost you, you know, considering what, what McCarthy got, just go all out. Why not at this point? What's, you know, what is your thoughts on that? Well, the other thing that you have to take into consideration, too, with Scherzer is, remember, guys, he's a Boris client. So you know that he's going to ask for the earth, the moon, and the stars and above. And I think that if you are a team like the Yankees, even though you may have the financial wherewithal to go out and, let's say, give him whatever his asking price is, you, of course, want to let the market set itself and see if that price could come down somewhat. I've talked about this the last couple of weeks on my show, and I don't know how you guys feel. Max Scherzer, and when you see that $200 million number thrown against him, that's ludicrous. First of all, practically nobody is worth that kind of money. I don't care who you are. I mean, mean, the best players in the sport, Clayton Kershaw. I mean, Clayton Kershaw, he's the best pitcher in the game, but I think we saw how he performed in October, right? That there's nobody is completely the end-all, be-all, that there's still something left to be desired. And when you look at Max Scherzer, okay, the guy's been good the past couple of years, had the breakthrough season two years ago, won the Cy Young, Do you guys know that that Cy Young year, that was the first time in his career that he even received a single Cy Young vote? One vote. I mean, I'm talking even ninth, tenth place. That was the first time in his career. So now you're telling me a guy who's going to be 31 years old soon, you're going to give him $200 million? That I wouldn't even go anywhere near. But you know what? And I agree with you. Look, Dan, if I I ran a team, you know, hitters would get five-year contracts pitchers would get three-year contracts. I don't know if I could win like that. You saw the Forbes article with his like $9 billion in revenue. At right. this point, $30 million a year is your Hall of Famer elite players, $20 million for your All-Stars, and 10 to $15 million is if you're pretty good. We have to accept that, and maybe at this point, you're right. Is anybody worth that? No, but based on baseball revenues, he is. So, you know, that's the argument I would make on that point that you just, you just threw out there. No, absolutely. Look, and I get it, and, and you're a thousand percent right. But, and, and the great thing is about it, we can sit here and, and banty about the numbers, and the best part is it's not my money, it's not your money, it's not anybody's money, it's the team's money. And I understand how revenue is and, and what the market dictates in baseball, and, yeah, you have to go with the flow. And just from a demand standpoint and what they need, I talked about it a little while ago. Look at the Yankee rotation, guys. What do they have that's, that's set in stone? Tanaka still may or may not need Tommy John surgery one day. CeCe Zabathia, I think we all agree, his best baseball is behind him. Ivan Nova 
even comes forward with some sort of an injury risk. Hiroki Kuroda, who knows if he's even going to be back. And you don't think it's a big deal, but they lose Shane Green and Brandon McCarthy. Yankees need some starting pitching guys. All the years that they won, and really when most teams are successful, they have a boatload of pitching. And the Yankees, they don't have it right now. Dan Grassa, Sirius XM, Mad Dog Radio is our guest. Joe Bono, Mike Silva, Weekend Watchdogs. Even if they do reel in a big fish like Max Serger, which I think they're almost playing their hand right now um, because of, like you said, making the green trade, allowing McCarthy to go, and all the uncertainties they already have in the rotation, they're going to have to bring in. When you look at the everyday roster, I know they're bringing, uh, you know, Didi Gregarius, uh, the heir apparent to uh, Derek Jeter. But when you look at this roster, even if all the upside with the starting rotation happens, where do you see them in terms of being a contender again? Is it, is it, are the Yankees much like last year's team where um, they're hoping for a second wild card spot, you think? Probably at best. And now we saw, I mean, we saw the American League East go through some change this year, right? I mean, Boston, I know that they kind of reshuffled the furniture, if you will. I don't know if those moves are going to pay off. Do we know if Pablo, I mean, Pablo Sandoval, they bring him in, but remember something so about overrated. Sandoval. Guys, a so great overrated. October player. Right? The guy's a great yeah. October player, the guy you want up there in the clutch in the postseason. Regular season, eh. And the whole thing with Sandoval is you have to then get to October 1st to have him pay off. So there's no guarantee you're going to get there. I, I'm not in love with what the Red Sox did with their starting rotation, the moves that they made to bring guys in. Um, so there's still a lot of question marks there. Tampa Bay, you can count them out. You know that they're not going to be part of the mix. We've seen this move before with the Blue Jays, where they go all in in an offseason, bringing in Josh Donaldson. I think they gave Russell Martin way too much money, but they're at least going for it. But we don't know if those moves are going to pay off. And then when you look at the Baltimore Orioles, my God, is there a team in Major League Baseball who's had a worse offseason than Baltimore? You lose Nelson Cruz, Nick Markakis. Uh, and Andrew Miller to the Yankees. The one thing you could say if you're a Yankee fan, though, is this American League East is really wide open and up for grabs. So Yankees are going to need to have some bounce-back years, if you want to call them bounce-back years, from a guy like Alex Rodriguez. Remember him? He's going to be in the mix again. Teixeira is going to have to prove he can stay healthy. We talked already about the starting rotation. Carlos Beltran is going to have to prove he can stay healthy. A lot of what-ifs with them. And I don't think that they're done tinkering with the roster. Remember some guys last year? Nelson Cruz, he signed with the Baltimore Orioles in February. So there's still moves that can be made. It's not the finished product just yet. But I think the Yankees have as good a shot as anybody for sure. Now you look at the big moves or the winners. You know, I know it gets so overrated, winners and losers in, in the, uh, the winner right. meetings. Uh, who, who jumped out to you? Because I'm, I'm guessing you might not have the same... Uh, narrative that we've heard out there because sometimes I think the winners get a little overstated this year. Maybe the Marlins might be that team, and sometimes the losers, like the Orioles, they still have guys who might bounce back. You know, might turn out to be a little bit better than everyone thought coming out of the winter meetings. You got any thoughts on the winners and losers from this past week? Isn't it great talking about winners or lo- winners and losers though from the winter meetings or from <laughs> the off season before they've even played a game? Like I always crack up, and it's so hypocritical, you know, when the when the drafts <laughs> roll around for the respective yep. sports. Like the NFL draft, you know, happens on the weekend, and on Monday they're assigning grades to everybody. Well, can they first <laughs> even play a game yet, and maybe give them at least a couple of years before we give it a, a grade? But I mean, on paper, to me, the ones that jump out. I got to tell you, in a strange way, I, I like what the Dodgers did. I really do. Bringing in Jimmy Rollins, 
bringing in Howie Kendrick to form their middle of the infield uh, double play combo there. I think Rollins, and chances are it's only going to be for a year, but I think Rollins is going to be a huge, huge pickup for them, maybe even for more off-the-field reasons than on the field. Guy's a winner. The guy's been in big games. He's an MVP. He knows what it takes to get the job done in those high-pressure situations. He's going to have no problem playing in L.A. since, you know, that's he's from there. And I think a guy like Rollins in the clubhouse is really going to help out a lot of those other guys who, let's face it, you know, getting over the hump and winning 90-plus games in the regular season, they haven't been able to take that next step in October. Bringing in a guy like that, I think, is tremendous. The Brandon McCarthy move for the Dodgers, we talked about that. I think four years was a little extreme. Again, right. it's their money, not mine. I don't understand that one. I still think that the Dodgers are probably going to bring in a pitcher at some point to answer that rotation. You mentioned the Marlins. Love what they did. And it's funny, when you talk about the Mets, here closer to home in that National League East. I think that certainly going into this season and maybe in the next couple of years after, the Mets and Marlins are almost competing with each other, right? It seems like these are two teams that are up and coming, have a lot of young talent, and the watch is going to be on to see who's going to be able to take that next step and contend for a division championship and unseat the Nationals first. So I like the Marlins. I like the Dodgers. Of course, I like what both Chicago teams did, both the Cubs and the White Sox. And I don't know how you guys feel about this, when you see what the Cubs did, and maybe I'm overselling this just a little bit, I can see the Cubs, with the moves they made here so far, bringing in a Lester, bringing in a Hamill, certainly bringing in a new manager in Joe Madden, who might be the biggest acquisition of all, I can see this Cubs team kind of resembling the 05 Mets. What do you guys think about that one? Remember the 05 Mets, they brought in Willie, Pedro, Carlos, right. <laughs> trying to, you know, to, to begin taking that next step, you know, starting to spend again before 06 was their real breakthrough. I don't think the Cubs are going to be there this year, but like I said, maybe a year away, this is kind of laying the groundwork with all that great young talent they have in the system, too. Yeah, with and Rizzo and Castro and Brian coming up, uh, they certainly have the position talent and position talent could, could come and come quickly, um, sometimes even faster than, than some arms could, some arms can. I think for them, you know, they, you know, for, for the Mets, it's been this slow, slow rebuild where it's just a crawl and like improved by one or two wins each and every year. While they did, like you said, the 2005 Mets went from an awful team after the Art Howe two-year era ended. Right. And then 2005, they were, you know, new manager, new attitude, um, you know, bring in that statement free agent guy. Maybe John Lester is there, Pedro Martinez. Um, let's, let's segue about the Mets, because for me, Dan, the criticism I have of this front office is that they haven't shown a lot of creativity when it comes to swapping major league talent for major league talent. And this was, was the debate Mike and I have had regarding, you know, what should they do with Dylan G and John Neese? Do they really have to move one of these guys to create flexibility within a five-man rotation, or with the question mark that is Matt Harvey anyway, knowing that they want to give him certain rest, would it be just beneficial knowing that there's a lot of starting pitching out there and that they can't get what they want for G, just hold on to him, use him in a bullpen-type role, and, and use it as a overall starting pitching depth? But they have a lot of guys, though, right? I mean, you talk about Gene Nice. Don't forget about Montero that they have as a yep. spot star, too. Um, I mean, Bartolo Colon, who knows if he's even going to be uh, on the market at some point in the final year of his contract. They have a glut of starting pitching, which, look, we all know is a luxury to have, and you want that, no doubt. 
I just think, though, and, and this is going out on a limb, but you have to move forward here with the assumption that Harvey's going to be okay. I agree wholeheartedly with what they're saying, that they need to manage his innings, maybe skip a start every so often to make sure that if indeed there is October baseball or meaningful September baseball, that he's going to be a part of it. Because, look, he's the lifeblood of this franchise. Okay, I know David Wright, they call him the franchise player. Let's be honest. Matt Harvey, for as long as he's here, and, and you guys know that it's probably not going to be for his entire career. He's probably, he'll be playing in New York, but it's probably going to be in the team in the Bronx. But as while he's wearing a Met uniform, you have to make sure that that guy takes the ball every fifth day or at least is close to it. I get the frustration. I get the fact that they don't operate like a big market team. I know the payroll is something that's always going to be called into question. But preaching patience for one more year I don't think it's that outlandish, and I do think that they have a chance to contend this year. Even if they go to spring training with the roster currently assembled, yes, we know there's holes. Yes, we know that it's not perfect. A lot of guys are going to have to have the bounce-back season. Who knows what you're going to get with Kadire? I like the signing, but who knows if he's going to be able to stay healthy for 162. I do think this Mets team in this season – probably will at least keep you entertained if you're a fan throughout the summer and Lord knows, maybe even into September and beyond. And then there's one thing when these Mets fans call into you and they get crazy on Twitter when I tell them that. That surplus that everyone takes for granted, that goes away quick. Look, Cologne, just like Tom Glavin, could fall off the cliff. You know sure. Harvey's going to need rest. That's two. Nice has had uh, you know how many MRIs and, and heart issues and, and, and there's got to be something going on with that shoulder. So who knows? That's three. You don't know what Montero you're going to get, so there's a question mark. And you're relying on Syndergaard and Mats, Syndergaard who doesn't call his own game yet, and Mats who's had success at AA. That gets thin real quick, and you trade Dylan G. I guarantee you, Dan, come July 1st, they're going to be sitting around going, you know, we could use somebody that could give us some innings and quality starts. Oh, yeah, that guy, we traded that guy four months ago. And, and, and everyone and the, takes that for granted. You're right, and the thing that happens, too, with G, that his value, his max value, has probably come and gone. Let's be real. They, if they had an opportunity to trade him uh, when he went through that incredible run there after the Yankee game, what was that, last season? Um, last, yeah, or, a couple of years ago. Yeah, a couple of years ago. Yeah. I keep, you know, last year, this year. Um, that was probably the time to trade him. Now, John Neese, if you say, all right, Neese, G, who's more valuable to the Mets? Well, you'd like to hang on to Neese because you don't have any other left-handers. All right, so you need that guy at least in your rotation. Neese also, though, if you want to turn, talk about guys that you're more readily available to trade, Nice has more money still on the contract, as you know. So while G might not net you more in return than, let's say, a John Nice would, teams might be more willing to take a chance on G because there's not as much of a financial commitment tied to him. And, you know, guys, you're running down all these names, and I even glanced over them, and I don't know how you can at this point, but let's not forget the rookie of the year is also in the rotation. A guy who uh, it was as pleasant a surprise as maybe any of us could have foreseen. He's, he, Jacob DeGrom was not one of these guys, even though he was mentioned along with all these other great young arms in the system. DeGrom was never a guy who was considered the top of the deck. So for him to come out of nowhere this year, remember he was called up as a reliever originally, got a start, and then he went on to win rookie of the year, and now he's going to be a top-of-the-rotation staple, you hope, for years to come. Dare I say an embarrassment of riches? I mean, that, maybe that's a little too strong. But th if, if all breaks right and they stay healthy, my gosh, they got a lot, a lot of encouraging arms in this staff. Yeah, Dan, they have eight to ten starters and really zero shortstops. Just real, real quick. Oh, gosh, yeah. 
chances of Wilmer Flores being, I mean, Wilmer Flores, Ruben Sahada talk again during the winter meetings. You know, although Mets fans are upset that they didn't make a move at all, the fact that nothing was done with the shortstop position is probably the thing that bothers fans the most. Just overall probability in your mind that Wilmer Flores is the shortstop, or do they bring in someone? And if and if so, at what type of level do you think that type of player is? Is it one of these international players? Is it one of these uh, free agents that might not get signed to January, February, like the Stephen Drews of the world? Does Ray Ordonez have any range left in the hole or no? <laughs> I mean, is there any, any chance we could get him Can't back? Hit. I don't know. You know, and that's the thing. You know, you look at a guy like when they had Ordonez and this and that. Obviously, I always like to place an emphasis uh, at the, on the shortstop position. Uh, give me the glove over the bat first, because that is it's it's your most important defensive position on the infield. You need a good glove at short. So you look for that number one, but you can you can absorb that into your team a little bit more uh, more soundly if you have a strong offense, and the Mets don't. So if you bring in a light-hitting shortstop, and look, they got a couple of them on the roster now, but he's a can't-miss glove, you still need to have that offensive gap kind of condensed in a way. Now, we heard about the names that are out there. These two young kids out there in Seattle, they might be boom, they might be bust. Who knows? They can play, they can play defense, but you still want a little bit more with the bat. I mean, you have two light-hitting guys here in your own organization. I just The only thing I would say about the Mets and, and the shortstop position, I just hope that they don't take one of these chips, one of these available arms, and ship him off to one of these other clubs and bring in a shortstop who's maybe not that much better than the guys they have, but it's going to look like, hey, they went out and did something because their names are not Wilmer Flores and Miguel Tejada, and almost like they oversold just to get a guy in here to kind of change the furniture a little bit. It's a hole, it's a hole certainly in the infield, and they have to definitely address it. I agree with you. Dan Grasa, Sirius XM, Mad Dog Sports Radio. Listen to him Monday through Friday, 7 p.m., 11 p.m. Eastern Time. Follow him on Twitter, at Dan Grasa. Uh, we appreciate it, Dan. This is fun as always, and uh, we hope to do it again uh, as the season draws near. Thanks so much. Guys, let's do it again soon. Keep up the great work, uh, and have a good holiday if I don't talk to you. Same Take to you, care, pal. Dan, that's, Take uh, care. Dan Grasa. Hey, uh, you're listening to the Weekend Watchdogs, Mike Silva, Joe Bono. We're going to take a quick break. We'll react uh, a little bit. Want to get a little bit more into the Scherzer situation with Joe. We have some college football. Uh, Eleven o'clock hour. Tommy D. Charged FM talking Knicks and Carmelo and all that fun stuff. So stay right with us till twelve. We'll be right back. Legendary Boston Globe columnist Bob Ryan joined the Weekend Watchdogs. Is the game worse? Is it different? You know, what is your opinion on where the NBA has gone? It's still the best basketball in the world with the, with the best athletic basketball players, and the coaching is phenomenal. Uh, it, it, the defenses are sophisticated. It's hard to score in this league now. What I don't like about the game and why I don't like it as much as I once did, but I still like it, is the, uh, the, the three-point shot has completely taken over the game. It's distorted the game at every level. I, 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 would, I, I know it's, we're never going to get rid of it, but I, I just don't think it's been a good thing for the game, uh, and it's caused the style of play. Uh, and that it's not as enjoyable as it once was. And the, the disappearance of true post people uh, is, a, is a problem. Uh, and the biggest, biggest thing is the, the lost art of the true fast break. To hear guests on the NBA and more, tune in to the Weekend Watchdogs every Saturday, 10 to noon on Blog Talk Radio. It's the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. 
You're listening to the Weekend Watchdogs, Mike Silva, Joe Bono. Great segment with Dan Grassa of Sirius XM's Mad Dog Radio, talking some winter meetings in baseball. As I mentioned, Tommy D, uh, uh, Charged FM, will be joining us later this hour to talk Knicks. We'll get into maybe a little bit of the college football playoff. We don't do a lot of college football, but we'll, we'll squeeze it in. Uh, a little reaction here uh, to uh, Dan's comments. And want to get a little bit more, Joe, into the, uh, the the Yankees talk. By the way, the number is 646-716-8187 if you want to chime in. Joe, the, the biggest part of this Scherzer situation, and you saw my point to Dan, $180 million payroll. You saw what Brandon McCarthy got as a pretty much a fifth starter for his whole career, guy that was given away midseason, and now all of a sudden he had a, a good half a season and he gets a big contract. Good for him. I think the Dodgers will regret that. Headley supposedly has a four-year, $65 million offer. Cashman has talked about being comfortable with Martin Prado at third base. Your whole offense is going to be predicated, whether you bring Headley back or not, on Beltron and McCann returning to some kind of form, at least in the short term. Why not go out? Forget about bringing in maybe a little Headley, a little James Shields. Why not go out and pay the guy? Look, I cannot see anybody topping a seven-year, $210 million deal for Max Scherzer. I don't know if there's a way to do something like CeCe Sabathia and get some kind of opt-out for both sides four years in. I don't know if Boris would go for that. But the Sabathia contract that he signed after the 2008 season was not a bad deal for the Yankees because if they had not re-engaged him on an opt-in midway through, he'd be on his last year this year. And I think your attitude towards his contract and his Yankees career, based on the first four years, I don't know if it would be as negative, knowing that, hey, got a World Series, got elite performance. Sure, he's done towards the end, but um, he's gone after 2015. That's not the case because they re-opted into the contract. So that's why I think it's a little overblown about him being 30 years old. You heard about the pitching odometer that Boris put out there. I don't think it's as much of a risk if you're responsible and you don't get crazy and you try to hang on to him for forever. You're going to get four years out of the guy. And you always say, hey, it's not about money with the Yankees, so why is this so complicated? That's, that's my thing. Let's go and get them. Go get your big fish. Oh, I think they will go and get them, but I also, you don't know what else is going to be there for Max Scherzer. Now, if the Yankees are bidding, up, bidding against themselves and they can't construct a deal in that manner, then that's a bad job by them to give them those kind of options where if he blows out his arm, starts to, starts to fall back in terms of what he can produce in year two and three, um, allow yourself a, an out clause after year four. I think that's great. But right now where the Yankees currently sit two straight years without making the playoffs, if another team is really in there and the Yankees have to go to seven guaranteed years with Max Scherzer, I still think they'll do it. It'd be a bad deal, but I still think they'll do it. And they'll look to Sabathia's contract falling off the books at a certain point um, to replacing that with the Scherzer deal, and that's kind of how I think they'll digest it. That's how I would think. And you're right. Well, certain contracts falling off. I think and they, they he really the has contract, to be. But, yeah, but to share his contract, by the time Scherzer's contract gets um, disruptive in terms of a guy who's not worth what he's getting paid for, to share his contract will be off the books. Sabathia's contract will be off the books. They're no longer paying Derek Jeter. Beltron's got only two more years left. So this roster and the worry is allocated. By the time Max Scherzer's deal 
in years four and five isn't as good as it does look in years one through three, the other bad contracts will be gone. So you can always oh, afford, I, I think, I'm if you're a Yankee, right now. one or two right. bad prohibitive contracts. Um, so I don't you know, I, I say, oh, they gave us all this money to Max Scherzer. Bad deal. The, the, the Sabathia, bad deal. The Beltron is going to be a bad deal. There are bad deals at the same time. <laughs> no, you know, you know, I agree. Maybe if 20 that come off. Down. And remember, A-Rod's money is gone, gone, gone. Soon, 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 too. Uh, well, 2017 is his last year, making $21 million. I mean, you, more importantly, Teixeira, uh, 2016 is the, is the last year. I mean, the next two years, when you have basically you're obligated to pay 180 and 180 million, 178 million, is where these kind of moves become troublesome. You'd be able to slide in, and the, to this day, I'll say that the share deal was a good deal. I would not go back and undo it. I, I, I think you know you got a World, a World Series out of them. Um, unfortunate things happen. I support that deal. The reopting of Sabathia, I know at the time he was he was you know a a, a solid, um, you know solid you know ace, and you, you still thought you could compete. I thought the Yankees were beginning to fray, and I don't think they were as good as they thought they were when he reopted in in the middle of that deal. A Rod was a bad deal. That's a, a Hank Steinbrenner special. If it was up to cash, when he would have let A Rod walk, so we got that you know out there. You know the rest. You know you're gonna have to. You know Beltron is a, is a short term investment, and the only other really long term investment into the 2020 season is Ellsbury, who I don't think is worth 20 million dollars a year. But again, Joe, it goes back to what I told Dan: 30 million for elite players, 20 million for all stars, 10 to 15 million for very good players. There's nothing you can do about that. So I, I don't. Well, listen, I think you might have say- to amend. You- you know, week after week now, and you almost have to amend it because you have 10 to 15 million for very good players. And Brandon McCarthy is not what I would consider. He's a good player, um, pitched very good for a portion of last year, but generally speaking, is an average major league starter. Starter, and he got 12 million a year. Well, they they paid him more for what he did post uh, Arizona and the Yankees, and less for what he did pre Yankees. So. That's it. I think we got our buddy Drew from Bayshore on the line, and uh, it's been a hiatus for him. I guess he's he's busy with his uh, you know with his life, and he has no time to listen to our show during the holiday season. How you doing, Drew? You're on with Mike and Joe. I'm good, guys. Good morning. Uh, yeah, a little busy the last couple of weeks. I had a move, Thanksgiving, you know, all that kind of stuff going on. So. <laughs> Who did you use to move? Any did your movers take care of your stuff? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, listen, yeah. I know I, Drew I, a little bit. Drew moves. Once a I, year, once a month, true moves. He, I, I, where do you move to? I thought you're from Bayshore. Uh, you know what I talk about the gentri- <laughs> gentrification of the tri-state area? Pioneer for each area. Oh, yeah. So, Drew, yeah. I can't call you Drew from Bayshore. I have to call you Drew from Brooklyn. You can call me Drew from Brooklyn now if you so choose. I mean, as I live there now, I, I won't mind it. What part of Brooklyn did you move to? Uh, Carroll Gardens. Oh, good luck finding parking. I don't have a car. <laughs> no, even better yet. So you and Bono, you and Bono could have sophisticated dinners on Seventh Avenue and Park Slope. That's exactly right. right. So me and Mr. Bono. Well, I hang get out together. sixty-five miles east. I could hang out. You oh, could, you could, I'll, you know, I'll buy drinks on me. I'll send you the check in the mail. Yeah. What do you got on your mind, Drew? Well, you know, they had all this. You know, baseball activity this past week, and I was a little disappointed to see that the Mets really weren't involved in any of it. And you know, what did you want them really to be involved me, with? Drew? I mean, the Cespedes deal is the one that, like, kind of is the one that really makes me start thinking. I mean, they they traded Cespedes 
for Rick Porcello, who had a good year last year, but prior to that, he was always just falling short. I mean, he's still a young pitcher, and I'm thinking, I'm like, was there ever a time where like he he was available, or, or or there was at least something in the works for like one of the Mets' young pitchers, whether it's Syndergaard, whether it's Montero, Wheeler, any of those guys? Well, I mean, let I me let me throw me, this me, out to you. Nice and nice and uh, I know Nice Cologne and, and the other guy wouldn't get it done, but. To me, Cespedes is, is worth it as a young bat, young power bat. You would have to resign him, though. I guess that would be the holdup for the Well, you, here's a couple of things I'll throw at you. You know, mm-hmm. knowing how the industry looks at these kind of players, and I know what we feel about Porcello, but he's 25. Were you willing to do some combination of Syndergaard or Mats as one piece, one of those, and some right. combination of, I guess you want to say Zach Wheeler? Or Degrom as the other; those two pitchers for Suspedes, who's represented by Jay Z, who I would not trust as far as I could throw him with any of the right. negotiating. So let me just, uh, let me just ask for know. a clarification. Let me just ask for a clarification on your question. Are you saying we would have to do both of those uh, both pitchers in those groups, or one of those pitchers and like some other player? One, one from the, one of one from each group. I mean, if you're telling me Matthew Syndergaard. I almost think you would really have to strongly look into it just because for one year though, for that, one year of see, that, that's exactly what I was just about to get to is that, but the only thing is you got to know when you're ready to pull that deal that you could get him to sign because if it's a one year rental, let me tell you, it's, I, I don't think it's worth it because you know, are they really going to win this next year? Or are they going to be uh, well, looking? You know, I think the best deal you, you see teams, you see teams being creative and signing, you know, trading, starting pitching, um, for a guy like Cespedes, remember he was traded for for Marcelo. So, right. Well, at different times you get different things back. So remember that once the Mets signed Michael Kadir, um, they were not going to be in Cespedes. They have Kadir. They got Carlos Garris. They have their out. Big bat that right. becomes available. They're not much like last year when they kind of you know started the market by signing Chris Young to the one-year $7 million contract. They committed yeah. there that this was going to be our left field. Anything else that came available, we were going to be out on. So I think the Dyer signing is a signing. I feel a lot better about that than I ever did about the Chris Young signing. Oh, I wonder whether or not there are more available, better, cheaper options that maybe are come out that are better than Michael Goodyear, and the Mets won't be able to be in on any of them because no. they were so well, aggressive or maybe overly aggressive in getting them. Yeah, the, the I'm also back. I'm also interested. I mean, have you guys heard of anything on you know in, in the industry? I guess about what how they're going to go with the shortstop. Are they looking in on either uh, Kang, who's the Korean shortstop, or the I believe there's another Cuban prospect that's recently come I, up. I think I, I think they name. look at these guys. Again, I don't know. The budget is always a concern. You know, Kang, you hear right. different things. You know, he's from Korea. You know, you don't know how that's going to translate. You heard it. Maybe he's not a middle infielder. I got to right. be honest with you, Drew. If you listen to Sandy, he's basically told you, unless something drastically changes, and I don't see that, yeah. your shortstops are on the roster. And look, I think Flores is an interesting option. I would be more comfortable with him defensively if your second baseman wasn't Daniel Murphy. And I have nothing against Murphy's yeah. bat. Just defensively, yeah. and uh, and and Drew, thanks for the for the for the phone call. Defensively, I think that's where the issue. And the point made by many, and I can't disagree, is that when Murphy Flores up the middle, you could throw Tejada there as a defensive replacement if you want, and maybe you could go out. I don't know if you can. The forty-man roster is locked, 
don't know if there's a backup defensive middle infielder. Katahata sub. I mean, you can't have Tejada at short and second, but if it gets to be a problem, maybe you could sub him in at either position, depending on who's the bigger detriment. Speaking of uh, defense point. up the middle, what's the thoughts of Travis Darno having to deal with D. Gordon 18, 19 times? I mean, that's going to uh, you know, be very Gordon upsetting. D. Gordon, D. Gordon, I think, is a bit overrated. He's not a great stick. He had a good you know, all-star season last year. This is a guy that, I mean, I, I think I, I remember when he first came up, he couldn't hit. He was an automatic out. I think Joel Sherman How on the MLB he, Network. I, we can discount um, every, like a guy hits 280 in a season at age 22, 23, and we're discounting it like he's going to go back to being 220 hitter. He's not. <laughs> he's been up a lot longer than a couple of years, though. I'm going to give you, let me let me grab him right now. I, I think, think so. What, maybe, I, maybe three? Hold on a second. I'm going to grab D. Gordon. He I'm just came saying, up in you know, D. Gordon is going to be came leading up in off games with walks. Well, let, let's, games let's, with walks. well, let's go out there. Let's go there. So, D. Gordon worked 31 times last year. That's not a lot. You know, that's a very low on base. Now, he did steal 64 bases and he had 12 triples. That's but that my kind point. of speed. But if I see a guy... It's not you know, very far to play goal, again. He's 26. He's not old, but he's not 19, 20, 21. When Reyes was 26, he was already established. So to compare him to Jose Reyes, like I think I heard Joe Trump, I didn't hear it live, but people on Twitter were talking about, I think that, you know, I think that's a bit generous. Let's put it that way. I think you would agree with that. I think that's a bit generous. I know, but are you going to discount the fact that he batted 290 last year? He played 148 games. Uh, it was his first real full season. He, had he doesn't get on base games enough. Prior to that, it just but at some point a fluctuate. Um, not going to discount it. I just think, you know. The thing he's not, from what I understand, he's not great defensively at short. Which, you know, for the Mets that would have been because people want to know why the Mets weren't in on it. That would have been important. I know the Yankees were looking to potentially get involved in that at some point, and it didn't seem to be a match uh, uh, there. Uh, no, I mean he's definitely a guy who's going to wreak havoc on the bases. And Darno defensively and throwing runners out was not good. Hopefully that improves. And that goes back to my point. You know, we don't even know. You talk about having a starting catcher. I mean, Terry Collins maybe spoke at a, at a turn on this. He was talking about putting the guy in the outfield. So we don't even know if he, you don't even know if you have a starting catcher. You might have a starting outfielder behind the plate. Think about that. It won't be the first time. All I'm saying is I'm not. Uh, Carlos Gordon is not a player you're happy to have in your in your division. I think. Yeah, he doesn't scare me. Like it's it's annoying. Any con- You remember back when the Marlins had Castillo and Juan Pierre? Remember how yeah, annoying, it was annoying. It was Piazza. That's that what I'm talking about. But, and the Marlins give the know. Mets fits already. They're going to become even a I more annoying team to play. I, I hate the Marlins. And, I, you know, that and the Matt Latos is a nice deal, too. I hate, good pitcher, Matt Latos. You put him in that I, ballpark, I, his numbers are going to go much, much better back to what he did in San Diego. I hate the Marlins because of Jeffrey Laurie. I find Jeffrey Laurie to be one of the more despicable. And there's a lot of despicable owners in sports because of how they made their money, because that's all public now, easily found. Um, and I'm a capitalist. I have nothing against, but Jeffrey Laurie is just a guy that he just, a lot of slipperiness, a lot of sliminess, and especially on the backs of taxpayers, what he did down in Florida. So to say, I hope that if the Mets are cursed for Madoff, and, and hopefully they're not for our show's sake, then hopefully the Marlins are cursed for Jeffrey Laurie forever. They got their two titles enough. The last thing I need to see is the Mets lose out to the Marlins again and us sitting here in October, you know, watching them celebrate at City Field the last day of the year. That would be a kick in the head, right? 
I still think both teams are not as good as Washington, and I think that it's going to be a cluster for the wild card. And I just don't think if the Mets are not able to invest in the roster and bring in players throughout the season um, that they can afford veterans depending on need, maybe shortstop is one of those. I just, you know, it, this pitching is so – I don't want to say the Mets pitching is overrated, but it has blinded people from talking about the payroll. It's blinded people from – addressing the fact that there are holes and question marks on this roster. That's my whole point, Joe. And including and the pitching, holes and question marks, but at some point you have to get you hope to be in those positions. And you can do a lot worse than Travis Therno at catcher. You can do a lot worse than Daniel Murphy at second base. Shortstop is the one roster right now that looks like a place where they can get an easy upgrade in that position via free agency or the trade market. Um, as far as the Yankee holes, is something I wanted to get to real quick. Um, Brandon B. These are two guys that have suffered these arm injuries. I think both did both have Tommy John surgery twice. Um, but those are the type um, of options I think you're looking at. If the Yankees do not sign Max Scherzer, that's where you're going. You're going at these kind of reclamation projects, big-time injury risks, um, guys that uh, all of a sudden um, because to get them on a, on a one-year deal on the cheap and they're able to bounce back in a big-time way. And, you know, I probably would bet we'll probably pitch and pitch well for, for one team at some point this year. You just got to gamble on the right. right one. Well, it'll be interesting to see nonetheless. Hey, let's take a quick break. We'll talk some Knicks. Uh, we hope to have Tommy D joining us at some point this hour. Tommy D from uh, Charged FM to chat about the Knicks. Um, doing a little college football. We'll do our NFL pick. So still got a lot of show left as we take you all the way up until noon. You're listening to the Weekend Watchdogs. Mike Silva, Joe Bono. Go to weekendwatchdogs.com for the show live and on replay. We'll be back talking Knicks basketball right after this. We want to be competitive. We are competitive now. I like the competitive nature. I think right now we have a loser's mentality because we're not finishing the games. So we have to break through that zone and get to that point. I'm not going to make movement for movement's sake. I mean, uh, you know, I think there's sometimes addition by subtraction, but um, I don't see anybody who doesn't want to be part of this organization, doesn't want to play with his teammates, doesn't want to learn. I see some guys that are resistant to their old habits, and their learning is, you know, delayed because of that. But, you know, we see some guys that don't have the skills that are really necessary to operate, but they'll learn those, and hopefully they're going to continue, and that's what I've seen. You're listening to the Weekend Watchdogs, Mike Silva, Joe Bono. A lot of baseball talk. We talk NBA during the baseball season. We talk like free agency for like three weeks in July, and we talk baseball during the uh, during the, the the basketball season. Joe, it, it's, media and sports makes perfect sense, doesn't it? I mean, maybe maybe that's what this is all about. I don't know. So, well, Mike, you are one of the top 100 most influential sports uh, business accounts in the United States for 2014. So, I will trust wherever you lead. In the United States, I thought that didn't that doesn't include Europe. I, oh, I the world. Sorry, the world. In the I, world. All right. Well, joining us, uh, friend of the show. You know him uh, on Twitter, uh, as he, you know, formerly of the Knicks blog on Twitter as well. 
And uh, one of the uh, key guys over at Charged FM, uh, really great project that he's been working on. And we're going to talk a little NBA, talk a little Knicks with him. It's uh, Tommy D. Tommy, how you doing, my friend? Michael, I'm I'm doing very well, and, and Joe, great to uh, great great to talk to you both. And and I I can tell you know Joe's voice mentioning the thing uh, on Forbes, uh, it was dripping with sarcasm. And uh, oh, I know, I, no, I, no. <laughs> I if you missed it before, if you missed it before, Tommy, we also everyone just stood up and we applauded Mike Silva on his great achievement. Hey, Tommy. That might be a bigger upset than the Knicks over the Heat back in 99 or the Nuggets over the Sonics, me getting on that list. I put that in those I, kind of upsets, to be honest with you. I want to tell you that I think that that's, I think it's great, and it shows that what you're doing, you know, people are paying attention to in droves, and, and I appreciate it because, as you know, um, you know, being disrupted in industries is something that needs to happen, and... Uh, and I say that with the utmost respect to you and your craft. Uh, and, and when you text back to me, I, I totally agree with you. It is nice to be recognized. So congratulations on that and, and keep up the awesome work. Thanks. And by the way, Tommy on Twitter, at underscore Tommy D underscore, if you want to check it out. Charged uh, FM is his website. And uh, Tommy, in a look, um, I thought the Knicks, it was going to be obviously a transition year. And then you hear some guys uh, that have shows on SiriusXM and a column of the Daily News use that pulpit every day to, you know, bash the fact that the coach and the uh, the GM uh, are implementing the triangle as if they made it seem like it was going to be a, a pill that was going to change everything. I didn't think they were going to be this bad. Some of this, I think, is misfortune. Some of it is the players that they thought were going to adjust, in my opinion, aren't. Um, I'm not all that upset about it, although I have to be honest, Tommy, I thought at least this was a 37-win base that could jump into the 40s uh, with a better uh, – better structure and, and it hasn't happened. So what looking under the hood here, what is your thoughts on where the Knicks are at and, and maybe the, the way it's being portrayed in the New York media? Boy, and, and to me, I had, I had them at 45 wins and went in a division. Like I, you know, I thought because they had Melo, he was good enough to, you know, to kind of overcome what was going to be somewhat of a transition year. And when you go back to the Cavs game, you know, he's been complaining about it, you know, kind of a balky knee since then. Um, Calderon obviously was out for the first, uh, what was it, about 15 or 20 games or so. Uh, Bargnani is still on the side of a milk carton. Um, you know, for me, the thing that I really underestimated was, you know, just how uh, how difficult, you know, different personalities in a transition year and, and managing those personalities, like a J.R. Smith, like an Iman Shumpert. You know, like a like a Stoudemire. Not to say that Stoudemire has a has a has a bad attitude or mindset, but he may be thinking about where he's going to be playing next year. You know, to me, there, there's a a lack of professionalism that I think Fisher is not not Coach Fisher is not having a, a lot of fun with, or and, and not having uh, a lot of success managing. Uh, you know, I look at J.R. Smith. They've been trying to trade J.R. Smith since the summer. And he doesn't do them any favors with his with his behavior and, and, and just him completely, completely ignoring the triangle offense at, at times, at, at most of the time actually. So I didn't I, I didn't calculate enough in, in the prediction uh, time period early on, you know how you know how complex dealing with all those personalities are, and, and I think that's what you're seeing. Plus. I got news for you. There's some Hall of Fame big guys who are going to be in this draft, and and uh, 
it, it, it wouldn't hurt for them to uh, to get a top three pick. That's for sure. Tommy, people are obviously looking to what Steve Kerr is doing uh, with Gold Estate. Everyone knows that was Phil Jackson's first choice, whether or not he was – uh, given the ability to give Steve Kerr everything that he wanted um, to make sure he didn't get other and eventually leave to the Golden State Warriors when Mark Jackson was fired. And obviously people compare that to what Derek Fisher has done. Um, is it just a matter of the talent level? Um, obviously, in terms of how much Derek Fisher has struggled, um, I mean, what's your thoughts about him as, as a first-year head coach that a guy like Steve Kerr, a first-year head coach, is having such great success? And we've seen others like Derek Fisher and even Jason Kidd last year struggle, um, you know, in terms of this guy. They made a big-time five-year commitment and a lot of money to him. Uh, what's your thoughts so far on Derek Fisher and in terms of how he's handling the job? That's a great question. And, one, you know, they, they were in contract negotiations with Steve Kerr. Like, that's how far it got. And, and Kerr, you know, kind of backed away and, and, and did use them, you know, to, to create an opportunity uh, for, for the Golden State situation. Uh, and you're talking about walking into a situation that's a playoff team. It's got good young talent and, and easily the best backcourt in, in, in the NBA. Uh, so he's, he's been able to take them next level, which, which, is, which is definitely impressive, but a lot of factors working in his, in his favor, talking about Kerr. And then on the exact opposite side you know, is, is, is Fisher. And I think Kerr probably would have, have had the same situation had he been here. Uh, just because of what I mentioned before about, you know, when you first come in, any coach will tell you when you first come into a situation, that's why coaches get five-year contracts because you, you have your five-year plan. The first year is evaluating and, and, and deciding, you know, who you can stomach and who you can't. And then going forward, you know, adding the players that, that you'd like. So, you know, to me, I think Fisher has done well to establish, you know, his culture, which, you know, he has his rules. And, 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 and when you talk about, you know, one of the great clutch playoff guards i mean fisher is that he's he has he has great credentials and and certainly looks the part i like his stuff out of timeouts i think i think he can he can get them you know three or four baskets within the game uh which is really what a coach's job is i think his rotations are are puzzling because he's trying to send messages to guys that aren't listening um but across the board i i think he has the skill set to to be a successful coach in this league it's just a question of you know Will Phil stay here long enough to stick to the plan? Uh, and if you saw Ron Artest tweets the other day, which were which were great, you know he went off on, <laughs> on the media. He, he went off on everybody and saying that you know these guys are focused on this. These guys want to win. They they want parades. So as long as that 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 plan stays together, I think Fisher's going to have success there. And I think the Knicks pretty quickly will will be okay. Amazing that Ron Artest, and I always call him Ron Artest, uh, not Metal World Peace. I just can't get wrap my head around Metal World Peace. Makes more sense in 140 characters than certain people who write for the Daily News and go on Sirius XM Radio and have a pulpit, who is supposedly covering the team. That amazes me, Tommy. Does it amaze you? What amazes me is the amount of text I get from those people. But, um, <laughs> I, it, you know, it, it really does amaze me because... The media is 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 very, and the, the Knicks media specifically are a big part in this, and and they act like they're not, and that's and, and I don't mean everybody because, you know, I've got the utmost respect in the world for you know guys like Ian Begley. I, Ian's a Ian's a great guy. I, I've never met met Chris Herring in person, but he seems to be a very very good guy. Mark Berman is a sweetheart of a guy. I I mean I know those guys, and to me, 
you know, when, when you when you talk about the, the environment and the culture, you have to include the media because it's always negative, always. You know, you, you can't you, you can't say it enough. And to me, Nick's blog was always like the antithesis of that. We wanted to be, you know, hey, let's let's shed some positivity here. But you can't always be so so darn negative. I want to see from the media, I want to see more stuff about X's and O's. I want to see more stuff about, how, like, how can you be part of this solution? And, and uh, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm fighting a losing battle, which is why I don't do it anymore, to be honest with you. No. Uh, I got, you know, I, the other things that, 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 uh, that, that I, I focus on. But it, Tommy, it is what it is. You know, one of the bigger stories that came this week from the media was Mark Berman's story, uh, saying that a source has indicated that Carmelo Anthony would be willing to waive his no-trade clause uh, this early into his, you know, five-year max year contract. Um, what was your reaction to that story? Story? Any kind of uh, thoughts that Melo would even entertain those ideas after obviously him going uh, talking about building a brand and part of the reason why he stayed in New York and all these things he wants to accomplish. And and I'm just curious to what your thoughts were when you first read that. Did you give it? Did you think it had any validity at any point? I I did not because. And, and I'm not I'm not questioning Mark's sources. Mark knows people in the organization. He's very good. Um, you know, I my office is right next to Carmelo's. He has he has his T7 um, uh, company and, and a couple a handful of other things that, uh, that that he focuses on in Dubbo and in Brooklyn. And I I saw him at a conference not too long ago tell everybody that the reason why he stayed in New York was because of his businesses and 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 the stuff that he's funding. And, and trying to grow, so you know, when his career is over, you know, he, he can he can be looked at as this kind of technological and, and, and you know venture capital mogul, which which every blew everybody away. They're like, wow, this, you know, he, this guy doesn't want to be Charles Barkley after after he, he plays. He doesn't want to be uh, Patrick Ewing trying to get a coaching job. You know, this guy wants to be Mark Cuban, and and I thought that was great. So. To say that he'd waive his no trade clause to me this early doesn't make a lot of sense because I know he's, he he decided to stay in New York over Chicago over going to Chicago, which was very close 50-50, uh, because he wanted to have you know he wanted to be very very close uh, to, to these businesses that he's funding, so I I didn't put any any credence into it to be honest because he, he's here for a reason and that reason is not just basketball. Tommy, on that point, and we have Tommy D. Charged FM, formerly the Knicks blog, at underscore Tommy D. underscore on Twitter. The hardcore basketball fan, especially those guys who grew up watching the Knicks in the, the glory days, the Garden of Eden days, and uh, the Garden of Eden, whatever you want to call it, they hate hearing that stuff. I Listen, I admire Carmelo wanting to be more than just a guy spending cash and bling and going on in a reality show. I, you know, That's what he wants to do. God bless him. That's a great way to spend your money, and I probably would want to do the same thing as well. But is it in his best interest to be so public in a documentary about the Chicago situation? And does that ESPN, the magazine article, as much as there's nothing wrong with it, from a standpoint of the basketball fan and his primary focus, does it give those who have the anti-Carmelo position, hey, look, can't win with the guy because an elite player wouldn't have his team at 4-21 and or 5-20, and whatever they are, um... And not only that, he's more interested in his legacy off the court. And the only reason he has that legacy is because of what he did on the court and the money he made on the court. How do you respond to those that are bothered by how maybe he's publicizing it or handling it 
and it goes back to the whole brand thing that he talks about. I mean, you know, what, what does a 25-year-old think of Mark Messier? You know, what, what, is a, what does a 25-year-old think about um, Lawrence Taylor? You know, are those guys revered? You know, maybe. Okay. I think Mark Messier is the greatest athlete in New York history myself. And I, I put him on such a plateau. It's ridiculous. Because of how hard, you know, what he accomplished was. And he, he was the second best hockey player of all time to Wayne Gretzky. That's the, the stats prove that. Everything proves that. But I don't think people care about him. And what is he doing? He, he's consulting. He's, try, he's thinking about coaching. He'd like to probably at some point be the next GM. But he, he still has, he's still working. But he's still doing stuff. And, and that's kind of my point earlier with, with, with Charles Barkley or Ewing. You know, those guys still work, regardless of how much money you made. You still have to work. You know, you're not just going to sit around and do nothing. So what Carmelo is setting himself up for is, is that, you know, afterward, you know, this is what I want to do. I want to be known as this legacy that. And guess what? People talk about legacy all the time. Mayors, governors, presidents. It's what they do. It's what they want to be known for. It's their number one. Why do you think all these politicians write memoirs? They want, they want to be in control of how they are remembered. I respect Carmelo. He's the same, that's, that's exactly what he wants to do. Now, if you want to tell me a good place to start would be winning a championship, yeah, for sure. But Carmelo didn't sign Amari Stoudemire. Kamar, he didn't trade for Bargnani. You know? Okay, he wants to have something to do with Lynn. Fine. Okay, great. But, like, Lynn wasn't, gonna, Lynn wasn't a solution here long-term at all. So I think he wants to have his cake and eat it, too. I thought the, I thought the ESPN Magazine article was poorly, poorly framed and poorly written because it made him out to be a selfish guy, and it made, it, it made him seem like he, he, he is selfish. Who's more selfish than LeBron? People look at, people look at Melo, and they say, oh, he, his use, use percentage and use rate is really high, so he must be really selfish off the court. He took less money to stay here. <laughs> like, what is he? Well, have? I mean, listen. I think right now, prove, though, what does he have to prove? The what legacy prove that he's not selfish. But the legacy that that right now, if you tell me what Carmelo Anthony's legacy is in New York, it's it's a player that was a very, very good scorer. Um, who, right now, based upon what he put out there, is that maybe winning a championship wasn't wasn't his top priority in the time he was here. And unfortunately, to me. All the stuff he wants to do is a lot easier to accomplish if he's a winner on the court here in New York, too. And I think that's the frustration from a lot of Knicks fans is that, hey, you have plenty of time to do all that stuff. All that stuff is absolutely great that you're trying to do with your money. But at the end of this contract, you'll be 35 years old. There's lots of time to do it. See, I would argue that that – I would say that he can definitely do both. And I would argue that if you're, if you're funding companies – the timing is everything. So it's not like, hey, yeah, just wait until afterwards and, and you know, fund an idea and hope that it becomes a billion-dollar company. Like, it's, it's timing. So, and, and, I, and I'm with you on, on the idea of what he is now legacy-wise as a player, and it's not great. The thing that I was mentioning and, and talking about with the article specifically was he doesn't think that he's a selfish person, but he knows people believe him to be selfish, and that's ridiculous because he's not. To me, if you want to say he hogs the ball and he holds the ball late in the shot clock and doesn't pass you know, enough, great. That's fair. That doesn't make him a selfish person. You know? To 
me. No, no, agree. I think I agree. I don't I think, think he's a selfish, I mean, a selfish person. I don't think fans understand that. No, I agree. I agree with that. Uh, last question I have. Um, you know, you mentioned, I think you alluded to it, so I think I know what your answer is here. You know, this idea of tanking, right? And, and the Sixers are tanking, and you now Knicks tank instead of Knicks tape and all this kind of stuff. Are you of the theory that right now the best thing for the New York Knicks is to lose as many games as humanly possible um, to try to get one of the top three picks, maybe get Okafor from Duke if he's going to be available at the very top of the draft? Are you in that mindset? You know, football fans are going through the exact same scenario with the Jets. What's your thoughts on the Knicks being, if you're going to be bad, be as bad as humanly possible? And I'm not for it, to be honest with you, but I, I understand it. Um, and I know Okafor is that good. So, at least from what I've seen, you know, I, I saw I saw Tim Duncan in college. You know, I, I looked at him and I said, yeah, he's number one pick, but, you know, what's he, gonna, what's he really going to be? He's the greatest power forward probably in the history of the NBA. So, you know, that I'm not going to compare him that, you know, that far because how can you? But I think the kid's got a lot of talent. Now, if if they if they stink enough and they and they get the third pick, you know, I don't feel great about that cuz I don't know how good Towns is going to be. And and you know, three may be high for, you know, for Collie Stein or Cliff Alexander, you know. I would say that LeBron has benefited most recently. He just went to a team that had a whole bunch of lottery picks, even a lot of young players. You know, Durant benefited from the lottery. I think it's Carmelo's time. And, you know, to get a cheap, really good young player, uh, if, it, if it costs you losing, then, then I, I think you, you really have to consider it. Now, you know, how, how do you sell your fan base on that? Donnie Walsh did it for years. So, I, you know, I, I think what the fans are looking for with Phil is to say, hey, man, don't, don't lie to us. If you're going to suck, let us know. We'll be cool with it. So, you know, I, don't, I think Phil would do well to do that, if that is their, their goal and the plan, um, which sure, sure as, as, as heck looks like when you watch them, for, you know, at least in my opinion. And it's, and it's amazing, Tommy. One last thing is amazing that Donnie Walsh got that rope and Phil Jackson's not really getting that from the media at least from the media. And it's like, well, I thought this was a, you know, the, the, the common thread on, on NBA Sirius XM radio yesterday was, well, when is it going to be about this year with the Knicks? Not pointing out that, that basically D'Antoni and, and, and Walsh punted two years for LeBron got it. But everyone seems to forget that with Phil Jackson, where, I mean, this might not, this is not nearly the rebuilding project. I think that that situation was. It's not because the, the contracts are going to expire. They're going to have a ton of cap space, which is going to go even higher. A first-round pick and, you know, arguably an all-NBA player still in his prime. So, and, and look at the East. You're going to tell me, like, am, am I impressed by the Toronto Raptors? Like, the Toronto Raptors, okay, they're, they're a nice team, but the Raptors, Kyle Lowry, come on. People would be going crazy in New York if the Knicks had the roster and the results that the Raptors were getting, though. Exactly. People and, would be all and, in about that team. And and they could have traded for Lowry. That that deal that deal could have happened. But you know, I, I just don't think the East is that good. I love Washington, and I could go on another twenty minutes about how awesome I think John Wall is, and that whole thing was amazing. This made me fall fall back in love with sports when I was. Really, really in a in a, in a in a tough spot watching. Dear God, I, I I wanted to I wanted to throw the TV out the window when I saw that. Uh, <laughs> John Wall, John Wall is the 
what does Raceman have? Dweeb of the week and dude of the week, right? Uh, John Wall is the dude of the week. Two thumbs up for, for that. Tommy, before we let you go, what do you got coming up? Charged FM, obviously on Twitter, at underscore Tommy D underscore. Give us a little flavor of uh, what the listeners don't want to hear from you. Yeah, well, you know, for us, always check Charged before you check out, and, and uh, if you're looking for something to do, um, you know, we, we outprice everybody in the marketplace. Um, and it's a very exciting 2014, and, and, and definitely an exciting 2015. Our, our app is going to come out, uh, which, which I think is going to be a real game-changer. Uh, in the industry, so um, you know, appreciate you, Mike, as always having me on. You know, giving me the platform to talk about that stuff. Um, you know, and and uh, we're we're really excited about uh, what what has been a, a really strong 14 and what's going to be a great 15. Awesome, Tommy. Enjoy the weekend. Happy holidays. Let's catch up again, my friend. As always, guys. Thank you very much, and enjoy the weekend. Thanks, Tommy. If we don't speak before, then uh... that's Tommy D too. Tommy D from Nick's blog. So I uh, want to thank him. Hey, we're going to wrap up college football, the Mojo Minute, our picks. Let's take a quick 30-second break. We'll be right back. The most magnificent. Mojo. Marvelous. Mojo. Magical. Mojo. Memorable minute of your morning. Oh, God, please. You guys don't have enough minutes on this show. The Mojo Minute. I mean, we're not yelling fire in a theater here. With Jim Mojo Morrison. Who the heck knows? This isn't an exact science. Only on the Weekend Watchdogs. Saturday, 10 to noon on Blog Talk Radio. Mojo! It's the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. All right, wrapping the show up, 11.45. I was watching, uh, we can watch those, by the way. I was watching Private Parts with Howard Stern the other day, Joe. Great I always movie. Laugh great about, movie. Great movie. Uh, the scenes of radio are what makes it for me. I don't care about the nudity and the, and the, the women. That, you, know, that, you can get that anywhere, and it's not my thing. Um, but the, the scenes of the boardroom and how he interacts with the radio elite that to me is what I get. And I love the part where he has to talk about, well, he has to mention the weather and the time. <laughs> How many times? Is it three times every 15 minutes? Like, it was like, he's in the middle of the middle of this like big dramatic story. And he's like, by the way, uh, 622 AM. Yeah. Uh, so should I do that? Should I do the whole weather? Hey, it's, I don't know how, how many degrees it is. Hey, 1145. It's uh, 37 degrees. Welcome to the Weekend Watch Show. You know, that's not my style of radio, but I, I was just thinking of that. Maybe I should incorporate that as a lark for one show and see how it works out. With, with, with smartphones and smartwatches and, and everything, like fun weather and the time. Other ways, but maybe in the mid-1980s, maybe they did need to know the weather and the time from the person they in the radio. Did. They, didn't have a watch, and they didn't have a watch in their car. There might not have been a way to find out. And somebody who was around in the mid-80s in radio, well, not mid-80s, late-80s, I would say. Man, maybe mid-80s, is our buddy Jim Mojo Morrison. Mojo, what do you got for us today? You got college football? Joe's going to Heisman? Do you have Carmelo? What do you got for us today? Because, uh, you know, we've been waiting for this. We, you know, we, we finally spread some time. And, uh, you know, we spread it out. We spent, we'll spend some time on college football. How are you doing? 
so Mike, was there a rule for college football like you have for Joe? No winter, you know, winter classic hockey. We start college football on Heisman Trophy night. Is that how? Is that how it works on the weekend watchdog? No college football I, yeah, until the Heisman. Yeah, I, I, I guess you know what. And I was disappointed because I wanted to go to the Stiff Arm Trophy website to see who they would predict who was going to win the Heisman because they they do like a um, a poll of all the those who uh, cast their ballot. And because of the rules now from the NCAA, where they basically are going to tar and feather you if you reveal your ballot. Stiff Arm said, you know what, if you're not going to reveal your ballot, we're not going to put up a bunch of anonymous ballots. It's not fair to the readers, so we're done predicting the Heisman. I- I'm guessing Mariota's going to win. But, yeah, Mojo, I mean, this is our three minutes of college football for 2014, so make it good, man, because if anyone knows this stuff, it's you. Well, if Mariota doesn't win the Heisman Trophy, then, then there's definitely something wrong. I mean, the narrative that's been built around this guy all season long. I mean, look at Joe plugging him last week after his 30-second highlight on ESPN. I mean, he's the guy that they picked at the beginning of the year to be the Heisman Trophy winner. And he's fit. I mean, he's had a good year. I'm not knocking the kid as far as his numbers are concerned. So everything's in place for Mariota to win. But the question is, as Joe pointed out earlier in the show, does he join? You know, I go back to 1970. You look at the Heisman Trophy winners. Starting with Pat Sullivan, you go to Andre Ware, Ty Detmer, Gino Toretta, Ward, Werfel, Wanky Crouch, Jason White, Liner, Tebow, Bradford, RG3, Cammy. I mean, does he join that list of guys that have just been total disappointments, if not non-factors, in the National Football League? I mean, that's where you're at with Marcus Mariota. Does he become the next RG3, or does he actually translate? I mean, I look at the guys that have won at the quarterback position, the only guys that have had any relevance in the pros is Plunkett, Testaverde, and Flutie. I mean, the rest of those guys, I mean, have been kind of irrelevant when it comes to the pro game. And you look overall at this award, Mike, I mean, four guys since 1970 have translated to actual stardom in Barry Sanders, Marcus Allen, Tony Dorsett, and Earl Campbell. I mean, there's been a lot of major disappointments of guys that have walked away with this award. Uh, on Heisman Trophy night. I mean, there's guys that have had some decent careers, like your Bo Jackson shortchanged by injury. Herschel was okay. You know, Howard and Ricky Williams, Charles Woodson. But they weren't, you know, true stars, you know, Hall of Famers that you would expect from a Heisman Trophy winner, you know, with all the accolades and all the narratives that are thrown at the Heisman Trophy winner every year. Yeah, the quarterback position more so than, than any other position because you have guys – um, maybe running backs, like we mentioned Ron Dane before, you know, Rashad Salam and those kind of guys that Charles you know, maybe White have okay. Here. Yeah, I mean, the guys that have, they, they have okay NFL careers, but at the quarterback position, we're talking about guys not getting drafted. I mean, every Crouch, I think, was drafted as a safety. <laughs> I mean, yeah. You win, you win the award for the best college player as a quarterback, and then you get drafted <laughs> as a safety, or in Charlie Ward's case, you're a seventh-round pick, and you're playing point guard in the NBA next yeah. year. So very, a very know. underrated point guard, Charlie Ward. Very tough player. Not a star, but a tough player. You know, you had a very... You know, and that's why when you, when you hear guys, you know, with these narratives, like you look at the Michael Stans narrative, well, he was an SEC Defensive Player of the Year, but so out. Look at these guys that walk away with this, quote, Heisman Trophy, are the greatest player in college football in the land. I mean, the best player across America for that particular year, and they don't necessarily translate. I mean, Tebow is you know, a star. I mean, I keep getting you know, guys hit me up on Twitter, oh, this guy is going to be a star, meaning Mariota. Well, wasn't Tebow going to be a star? Wasn't uh, Vince Young a star in college? Wasn't RG3 a star in college? I mean, just because they are stars at that level does not always translate to the next level. And that's, I think, the biggest question. I think Winston translates better to the pro game 
than Mariota does at this point based on what I've seen. Not saying he won't, but I'm saying if I had to make an educated guess, I would say Winston, character issues aside. I mean, they're, the they're talking – you know, they're talking about this being the Mariota Bowl. And amazingly, we haven't talked to any NFL on the show. Uh, Giants and Jets playing two straight weeks of games against meaningless opponents. It's pretty hard to do considering how many teams yep. are in the hunt uh, in the NFL. Talking baseball, um, it, baseball during the football baseball, season. Baseball, some NBA, even, even a little bit of hockey. But, you know, if the Jets are there and they decide, if it's John Isaac or someone else, hey, we are going to go with the quarterback. And the choice is, do you take the clean Marcus Mariota, Mar- Mariota, or do you go with Jameis Winston coming to New York, even if you projected him as the better player? That is a tough, tough decision because it has to be weighed in. It has to be taken into account what his off-the-field issues could be coming into a situation and coming into New York City. Um, you would wonder what they would do, Mojo, if they did grade out Winston as the top overall quarterback but obviously with these questions, if they would go a different direction, would they take then a, you know, a Cooper, just avoid the quarterback situation altogether, or go to Marcus Mariota if he was your second choice as a quarterback? I mean, the thing also, Mariota, he's a, he's a Hawaiian kid who's played his football in Oregon. Translate that now to New York City, the bright lights. I mean, does he have the personality to do it? I mean, some guys are just not comfortable. And then the other the major factor is who's going to coach the guy? I mean, tell me what kind of an offense do the New York Jets run? I mean, now that Rex and, and Morningweg are, are going to get divorced, I mean, at least if you read all these inside guys with their sources and stuff, I mean, that would be offensive coordinator number four if Rex stayed around. So now you've got to say, who are we going to go get if you're the Jets to coach this quarterback? I mean, because Rex has already screwed up the, the, the Sanchez situation. The, you know, they, that was a top five pick that didn't pan out uh, for them. You know, they went and they thought they were going to steal, you know, the lottery with Geno Smith. Obviously, that's not working out. So who's going to coach this kid? That's the key. Are you going to bring a coach in? Who's going to be the GM? Team? What's the philosophy? I mean, we don't even know what the philosophy at this point is, Mojo. I mean, that's the other thing. I, I, I agree. Hey, Mojo, I mean, Jeff, what about – what yes. about the college football playoffs? I don't want to uh, lose that. Um, I think I Alabama, think that this, I, I think that I think the committee got it exactly right. I said a couple of weeks ago uh, when I was down at the South Carolina game that I thought Ohio State, if they won out, despite the Virginia Tech loss, would jump everybody. Uh, you know, in the polls, they, everybody was arguing TCU and Baylor. I like TCU. I wish they would have gotten in, uh, but they're only taking four. I think the committee got it right. Uh, with the four teams that are there. I think Ohio State is going to give Alabama a good game uh, in the uh, uh, Sugar Bowl. Sorry, And then it's going to be an interesting game uh, how uh, Florida State and Oregon pans out. I think Florida you know, State make... is good. Sorry, Mojo. I'll just, I'll just make this point about the committee real quick before we just mention the games and we get to our picks, is that you know it's done to drum up excitement. But the big problem people had was because TCU was a third and then dropped out of it, completely even behind Baylor the following week after winning 55-3 to um, because they don't have a conference championship game in the, in the Big 12. You would think, you know, like the NCAA brackets, there's no there's bracketology with Joe Lenardi, but if they just didn't do anything and they met and didn't release anything, and then when it comes time to finally let you know, there would be less people upset. You know, it's well, the, yeah, the shifting I, I agree with you. week well, that makes well, everyone that, up in that, arms. How can a team be three and get jumped over when they win by 52 points? Well, that's the thing, Joe. You're, you're 100% right. It's all meant to stir up interest. ESPN puts that Tuesday night show on. 
But what they always preface, if you listen to them, this is only for this week. It has nothing. We always look at each week as if it's a brand new season. You know, we don't take into fact what ha- you know, how they were ranked last week. We just take what we see to be the best four on a week-to-week basis. And at the end of the day, at the end of the season, those are the four teams that they looked at the overall body of work for the season, and they picked those four teams to play off in the two, you know, in the playoff system. I thought it, I thought they got it right. I mean, you can make the argument for uh, Baylor. I don't think the conference championship had anything to do with it. I just think the best four teams that they picked uh, were were there, and Ohio State has one flip in the radar. Uh, you know, back in the early part of the year, they played well. They blew out a team with their third string quarterback. I thought that they deserved it. I think they're going to give Alabama a game on New Year's. Well, uh, not as exciting as the New Year's Day football games, college football games, but Mojo's 23-16. and 16. Joe's now in second, 18-20-1, and second by a half a game because of his tie. And I'm 18-21 as I bring up the rear thanks to a nice six-game losing streak that I broke last week. So I'll start it off since I'm bringing up the rear Joe our picks this week as we are in week 15 and we're coming to the final leg here of this uh, football uh, NFL marathon. And I'll start off with my love, and you guys are probably going to think I'm crazy because they've been struggling, but the San Francisco 49ers are a 10-point underdog in Seattle. They have to win this game. They have to win out. I know there's a lot of chaos going on over there because of Harbaugh, but I still believe that team is going to have pride and give this uh, the Seahawks a game. I know it's in Seattle. They have not been dominant at home. I think the, the, the Niners will lose but I certainly think they'll be within the 10-point cushion. I'm going to go for the first time I think I picked them all day. I like the Giants. They're a 6.5-point favorite over Washington at MetLife. Um, you know, the Redskins are weird. One week they're getting blown out and shut out. The next week they're competing with Indianapolis. Uh, I think it'll be a good game. I think the Giants will win by at least a touchdown, maybe more. I think it'll be a little bit closer, but I like the Giants this week against the Redskins. And lucky I'm just going to roll the dice because the Oakland Raiders are a 10-point underdog to Kansas City. I know they beat them in Oakland, and I know Kansas City has one of the best home field advantages in football, but they're not great this year. And Oakland, if you look at the schedule throughout the season, they've been blown out only a couple of times. They do compete. And uh, I like the uh, the Raiders to stay within that 10-point spread. They'll lose, of course. Might come down right around that 10 points, but I'll go with the Raiders as my lucky. So let's go to Joe now with his picks for this week. All right, 3-0 last week. Uh, my love pick is the Indianapolis Colts. I think T.Y. Hilton and Andrew Luck, one of the best combinations in all of football, they're that much better when they play the Houston Texans. I think we all remember what they did on that Thursday night game. I think, you know, as long as Andrew Luck doesn't turn the ball over early in the game like he's been doing, I think the Colts win this game and win this game big at home. I love the Colts, minus 6.5 against the Texans. My next pick, I'm going to go with the Green Bay Packers traveling up to Buffalo. Listen, it's been a nice year for the Buffalo Bills. I think they're getting closer to becoming a playoff team. But right now, they're just being outclassed. And Aaron Rodgers is playing, you know, the type of football he was playing uh, when he led to the Packers to the Super Bowl a couple years. There's way too many offensive weapons getting everyone involved. Eddie Lacy's been better. I like the Packers minus four and a half. And then for my luck pick, I'm going to go with the Minnesota Vikings. They had them... Uh, thankfully, they scored a touchdown in overtime to give me the win against the Jets last week. I think the Vikings playing at Detroit. I can see the, I can see the lines being a little tight in this game, knowing the type of pressure is, uh, that's on them right now to win. Um, and not, they're not the type of team that's blowing out opponents this year. They're winning close ball games. So I think the 7.5 number is too high. My luck pick is the Vikings plus 7.5. You're up, Mojo. 
All right, guys. I want to, first of all, just apologize for my last two weeks. My picks have been as good as Rex's coaching uh, the last uh, four years with the Jets. And so people I, on I, I Twitter wanted... are reminding you about it. And people on Twitter are Yeah, I, I, I didn't you know, realize that they were taking my losing streak so personal. But I'm going to go back to the basics. I'm going to uh, go in with my uh, lucky pick. I'm going to take the Atlanta Falcons getting a point against the Steelers. Steelers with a big road win in Cincinnati last week. Uh, game was a little bit closer than the actual uh, final score. Roethlisberger threw the ball over, all over the park. You would think he would be able to do that against the Falcons, but yet it's only a, basically a pick'em game. Falcons at home, they control their own destiny for the playoffs. Steelers have struggled on the road all year long, uh, have gotten blown out, uh, lost to the Jets on the road. I'm going to take the uh, Falcons to pull off a surprise win in my lucky at home tomorrow against the Steelers. My light game, I'm going to go against you, Joe, on that uh, Packer game. I like the Buffalo Bills getting the four, four and a half points at home tomorrow. That line should be way higher than four points. Bills have a good defense. They're at home. They're technically still in a playoff hunt. Packers, it's kind of like a sandwich game for them. They have a short week. They're traveling. I'm going to take the Bills to stay within the number, maybe even beat the Packers tomorrow and shock everybody. And then I'm going to go out in my love pick, which I'm 10-4 and four this year, despite the losing streak. I'm still 10-4 and four on those big picks. San Diego plus four uh, to beat the uh, Broncos tomorrow. Uh, Peyton Manning has lost a little luster off the fastball. The Broncos have been determined to run the ball. This is the must-win game for the Chargers. It's at home. They've played and beaten the Broncos the last two years, at least one time. Uh, I think that the Chargers uh, handle the Broncos tomorrow, but I'm going to take the four points anyway, and those are my uh, three picks for this week. Hopefully we get back on track. Thank you, Mojo. And looks like, Joe, you have a shot there of of catching up to Mojo. But And we got within the music, which is freaking amazing. Which is amazing that we got within the music there. Past 12 o'clock, Well, we're past 12 o'clock. Anyway. I got a brunch to go. Enjoy. You got a brunch to go to. Enjoy the uh, Heisen Trophy. Thank you, Joe. I want to thank Tommy D of uh, Charge FM, Dan Grazza of SiriusXM, Mad Dog Radio. Check us out at WeekendWatchdogs.com for the show live on a replay at Mike Silver Media, the Twitter, at JBono611. And we will see you guys next week at 10 a.m. Thanks a lot, guys. Talk to you then. <laughs>